Welcome, welcome everyone. Welcome to Wednesday movie night. <laughs> wow, I'm very excited about tonight because uh, we are going to uh, pretty much again demystify uh, the world. And then as you de completely demystify the world, you start to realize these, you have these huge flashes and huge insights about forgiveness and about the only purpose and about uh, being happy and waking up from the dream. So tonight we're going again to go very, very, this will be a very deep uh, metaphysical night. And to do so, we're going in kind of open-ended, where I'm going to start off with a, a Philip K. Dick. Some, has anybody ever heard of Philip K. Dick? Uh, great, great metaphysical writer, way ahead of his time. We're going to dip back to one of his writings from 1955 uh, that was made into a Philip K. Dick episode. Uh, that is an episode called The Hoodmaker. So we're going to go through The Hoodmaker uh, and we're going to use this episode to launch us into true intimacy. A lot of times when we think about fear of intimacy and fear of love, it's really still at the interpersonal level where people talk about a fear of sexual intimacy or a fear of being physically or emotionally naked and, and what sense of unworthiness or vulnerability comes up with that sense of, of openness and nakedness. And, and yet, when we study teachings like A Course in Miracles, what Jesus is saying is that, that basically your fear of intimacy is, is a fear of love but you've pushed the love completely out of awareness. And now you're only in a state of amnesia, where you're just aware of the ego, and the ego's time-space cosmos. And so what seems to be a fear of love plays out in interpersonal relationships, and that's how we have to face it. Um, because we've had such a complete amnesia about divine love, we have to we have to come back towards that divine love through our relationships. So when we took the polls this week, uh, the coming up in our survey, the, the top one, wasn't it fear of love? That came in in the number one spot, fear of love. And then um, specialness came up in the number two slot. And those two are, are very closely related, because specialness is the belief in your mind in the ego. What does that mean in practical terms for human beings? The belief in the ego is the belief in private thoughts and private minds. The belief that you can have a mind private to your own personhood. An assigned private mind, like your body gets assigned a private mind. You could call it whatever you want. You could call it a private soul, or you could call it a private psyche, or private mind. What's, what's it made out of? Private thoughts. Secrets. So we actually have like seven billion symbols of secrets walking around. That's just 
among the humans. I think even ISO might have a couple secrets, but not many. But, but everything that's perceived as separate is the belief in private thoughts and private minds. So the fear of awakening, the fear of coming back to God, is the fear of loss of the sense of privacy. That's a big issue in society, privacy. Right? On the internet, big time issue. It's in terms of copyright, big time issue. In terms of relationships, I have a lot of people for, for the last three decades, they say, David, I really like the Course. I really like the Course, but I wish Jesus would talk more about boundaries. Uh, you know, aren't there healthy boundaries? <laughs> Can't we throw up some healthy boundaries in there? And I say, well, when you're talking in those terms, healthy boundaries, in terms of interpersonal relationships, you're really just talking about guidance. That Jesus knows that if you had no boundaries at all, if you didn't have the belief in boundaries, you would go into the holy instant, and you would go into a revelatory state, and you would just burst into eternal love uh, and light. And there's no boundaries in heaven. Makes, it's ridiculous to think of heaven or oneness or nirvana as having boundaries. But for human beings, this is part of the, the discussions that come up. So, while privacy is, is an issue, privacy is also in this world related to trust. And it's like when people say, our, our, like we just watched Time Traveler's Wife, were you reading my diary? That's private, she says. You know, when she, he, and the time traveler is in there and he's, I'm just trying to find out the dates so I, I know, I can tell a little girl when I'm going to come and all this and this. But the, the issue of privacy comes up always in, in relationships. And of course, it just, if you look at the basics of, of being human too, when people talk about privacy, um, it's more than just private minds and private thoughts, then now when we talk about sexuality, what do we talk about? Private parts. People don't even say the word. They say, oh, private parts. And that just shows you how this, this privacy thing is projected onto the body, even in terms of sexuality. Uh, and what we're really seeing now is there's a lot of what seems to be uh, issues playing out in, around the world in terms of uh, between governments, between races, between genders, between classes, socioeconomic classes. There seems to be lots of conflict. There's the classic conflicts between the individual and society, uh, or between different, different groups clashing. And basically, I would say that, that it seems to be cultural, like we're going through cultural evolution, or going through cultural conflicts that, that seem to involve um, lots of people. But actually, everything in this world is a projection of the belief in private minds and private thoughts. So, if you want to know where the key is to, uh, to free the whole universe, free the world of all conflicts, free the world of all competition, free the world of, of all wars, free the world of disease, it's free your mind of the belief in private thoughts and the belief that you have a private mind that's apart from other minds. Miracles just are reflections of connection. That's why we always rejoice in miracles. 
We love to see connection. We do love our romance uh, stories. We like to see two people fall in love. Why? Why do we like to see people fall in love? Why do we watch so many fairy tales and so many stories and movies over and over? Why do we like a good love story? Is because there's this powerful force called love that is drawing the connect, us into this connection, that this total connectedness. And we love it because when we see two characters start to fall in love, they start to drop the mask. We love that. We, we feel their trust growing stronger. We feel they're exposing more. They're more transparent. They're laying down their guard. They're saying, I love you and I trust you and I'm going to put my defenses down and I'm let's merge together in an experience of, of huge heart opening, bursting love. That's what we want. That's what we're hoping for when we watch our love stories. We like to see witnesses of, of expressive love, hold nothing back love, trust love. That's that's we something inside of us knows that's the way back to remembrance of God is is through love. That's why we love our love songs. We love our Beatles songs. We love all of our symbols and music and movies and romances and everything that reminds us of this love. So tonight we're going to take a trip with Philip K. Dick into a futuristic uh, world in which. A lot of people in this future world are born with telepathic powers. So, just like we, Jesus says in the Course, you know, are psychic powers de desirable in the Manual for Teachers? And he basically says, yeah, there's lots of symbols. And he would say like telepathy and a lot of psychic powers um, they seem to be very extraordinary in this world, but he says they're actually natural. It's just you're coming close to your natural state of mind when you have these, these abilities. So, so some of the people in this society are telepathic. They're called teeps for short. Teeps. You know, like peeps? You're my peeps. I get to see my peeps every Wednesday. These are the teeps. The teeps and the peeps. And the teeps are telepathic. They can read minds. And then we have a pretty advanced teep, uh, a beautiful woman in this futuristic society, and her name is Honor. Isn't that a great name? I mean, that, if Philip K. Dick names his main character Honor, then she's telepathic, but she's more than telepathic, she's em em empathic. She's an, an empathic telepath. Mm -hmm. Now you're talking, I want to meet my soulmate. I'm like, oh my God, a telepathic empath. She not only picks up thoughts, but she picks up feelings. This is Donald Trump's worst nightmare. You know, if Honor came back into this century, you know, he'd probably try to have her arrested immediately because that's dangerous. It's one thing who's somebody, you know, who, who tells the truth, but reads minds, forget behaviors, reads minds and reads feelings. Oh, that's, you're getting into spiritual advancement when you get into reading minds and reading feelings. That's getting into like futuristic societies and evolution of the human race where they're coming much closer to the Kingdom of Heaven because the transparency is, is so strong. It's, it's just a realization that secrets don't serve. It's just a realization that you can't 
all minds are joined, like Jesus says in the Course, we're all connected. So, so honor is both telepathic and, and empathic. And then she is going, some of the teeps, the telepathic ones, are being uh, recruited and used by the government because there's, like what's going on now in the United States, there's riots, society in the future has, has fallen apart, and there's all kinds of wars going on between the system, the government and the people. You know, the government trying to keep control. Sounds familiar, you know. <laughs> things haven't changed much from our era. The government trying to control things, the people, except in the people, now you have the teeps and then the normal ones who can't read minds. <laughs> so there's a little bit, instead of class division, it's, it's telepathic division. And, and of course the ones that can't not read minds are a little bit concerned about the mind readers. They're suspicious of the teeps. You know, it's like a, a portion of the segment of the, of the population that can read minds and there's all kinds of sense, suspicions going on. And then Agent Ross and Honor are going to come together in what seems to be a collaborative relationship to help bring calm, to bring peace, to, to restore a sense of order uh, beyond the chaos. So, so we have a Teep who's empathic in honor, and we have Agent Ross, and they're going to start a collaboration. What happens when you get into deep collaborations? Like, what do we all experience? When we collaborate with one another, we really enjoy it. In our community, we like our collaborations. But we also teeter on falling into love with our collaborations because, because the collaborations are just like backdrops for lower the mask and realize all minds are joined. That's like, that's like the ultimate of ever, any collaboration or any love relationship is to drop the mask and see we are literally one. We are literally the same one. There's only one of us. There's only one mind. There aren't private minds with private thoughts. So this first episode we're going to watch tonight from Philip K. Dick, The Hoodmaker. Also you'll see The Hoodmaker, that'll come in a little bit later where they develop a device that you can wear a hood that prevents the telepathy. So it's, it's again, that leave it to the human race to develop devices <laughs> even with such a great advancement like telepathy, to develop a hood, you know, it's kind of, it blocks the, the telepathy, and it's still about ego protectionism. So that's where you get the name Hoodmaker. But I want you to pay close attention tonight to the relationship between Agent Ross and Honor, because they're starting out in a collaboration, and then they're going to start to fall in love and they're going to start to trust in a deeper way. And the reason I'm showing this episode tonight first, right out of the box, is because we're going to go at the main dynamics of what is necessary to reach a holy relationship. I know that's on your mind, if you're a Course student. <laughs> you know, I've heard of special relationships, and there's nine chapters, I read, Jesus really outlines those, and then he's talking about special love relationships, special hate relationships, and then he's talking about holy relationships. So we're going to watch, an ex we're going on an experiential journey tonight into 
the possibility of holiness, into the possibility of a connection beyond separation, of, of really coming to see we're the same one. So enjoy this uh, Philip K. Dick episode and I will probably come in here at some key points just for some little uh, pointers. And then if we flow through this and we'll see how we're all doing, I might even have a, that's right, a double header. I might throw, show another episode of, we may take it beyond what we're shown in the first episode into another episode, a different kind, that will take us towards enlightenment. So we will go all the way towards enlightenment today. We're just going to work on the forgiveness part in the first section and then really buckle your seatbelts because then if you're ready and everybody gives me the thumbs up, then we're going to kick it into a second episode, <laughs> a double header, a Wednesday double header. There's only thing better on Wednesday night than a Wednesday movie night is a Wednesday double. Uh, like the Daily Double. You've hit the jackpot tonight. But, just, I'm going to have to get the thumbs up from everybody, because uh, this one's deep. You know, each episode, we're just going to dive in. Okay, let's roll it. Let's go into the Hoodmaker. Okay, so you, it's just a good start here. You can start to see, like in, in the year 2020 now, the concern is police brutality, behavior of the police. We're not, nobody's investigating the police thoughts. Imagine if the police, policemen's thoughts were under scrutiny. <laughs> and you can see there's still the prejudices, you know, the, the woman who's, who's kind of in charge there, she calls the teep, the telepathic woman, it. Uh, and he gives the, the futuristic, politically correct term, it's a she. Like you're calling her it, and she says, "Okay, I, I stand. I've been told now." So, what we see here is even in the police force, the detectives are very suspicious of the teeps, uh, and and she says to the one detective, I, "I I'm not allowed to specifically to read your mind. Like relax." But there's a suspicion, and this is what comes up in all of our relationships. It's suspicions and fears and doubts based on the belief in privacy. Believe me, all the fears that you seem to have about the world, about world events, or about the coronavirus, or about the financial system, or the currencies, and an economic collapse, or whatever you're reading, and all the conspiracy theories, David Icke, and all the rest, and so on and so forth. That's just a cover. The fear is the fear of lo loss of privacy. The fear is the fear of loss of private mind. That's the great fear. And that's why a lot of times people will say to me, they'll say, I, I pray to the Holy Spirit and he just doesn't answer me. Like I pray to Jesus all the time and I want some practical guidance from Jesus and he goes quiet on me. Why is Jesus always going quiet on me? Jesus is not going quiet on you. You're going quiet on Jesus. Why would you go quiet on Jesus if you're asking Jesus for help? Is because it's a fear of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. What's the fear of? Losing your personality, using your privateness, you, losing your personhood, going into 
the abyss. Actually, that's what heaven seems to be to the ego, is the abyss. It's the, it's the void, it's the great terrible void of nothingness. Uh, and the ego is saying, look at this, you've got a great time and space life going on. Why would you give up your individual uniqueness and your individual personality for the big question mark? You know, the ego doesn't even teach that there is God, or if there is a God, it's an angry punishing God. The ego doesn't want you to let go of your mask, because that's its whole identity is based on hiding. It's based on deception. It's based on secrets. It's based on privacy. And the fear of listening to the Holy Spirit is the fear that you're going to lose your privacy. And you lose your, your worldly, earthly identity. So it's not really a fear of, of hear, hearing, it's more a fear of what the hearing will lead to, which, which is God, which is the state of perfect oneness with no private thoughts. And so in this, just in the beginning here, we see that um, Honor comes in and she's happy to be helpful. She's been selected to be helpful and Agent Ross is a little bit uh, concerned about having, working with somebody who's, a, a, who's telepathic uh, as a cop, working, you know, with the police force because he already said, you know, she caused a riot. You can see that underlying fear is there. Now, the, his superior said, it's a gift, you know, like, almost like, appreciate the gift. That's why we're, we're collaborating with the Teeps is because we need their gift of the, the telepathy. And he's basically quite concerned about this because, you know, he said, yeah, finding kittens and, and helping out with things like that, a little bit of telepathy, telepathy and clairvoyance is fine, but this, he sees this as like using it in a major way because there's so much paranoia and fear around minds being read. You'll also see, like in any good love story, the two main characters, Agent Ross and, and Honor, are going to be drawn to one another. Somewhere deep inside, he knows that she has a gift. And he hasn't even encountered the empathy yet, but he, deep down we know that telepathy could be a very helpful psychic gift. We also know the ego can misuse these things. Anything that is developed in a personal sense, that still have a sense of separateness and personality, can be hijacked by the ego. And that's kind of what happened to Helen Schuckman many centuries ago. She developed this amazing scribal ability, she misused it as a priestess, she had such a tremendous guilt that it took seven years in this lifetime to bring in A Course in Miracles because of the misuse of her psychic ability as, as a scribe. In this case, he knows there's a gift there, and what does she see in him? What does she see in him? He's, he's not a people pleaser. He is, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He is not like wearing a, a very thick mask of filtering, you know. And, and let's face it, don't we like that in our partners? Don't we like somebody who's transparent? Somebody who, who wears their heart on their sleeve, who doesn't uh, play games, who, who speaks their mind, who's not into just beating around the bush and, and playing mental games. So that's where she's going to be drawn to him, because he's so forthright. And, and 
maybe that's something that she even would hope to develop, to be that she's a little bit um, embarrassed and a little bit guarded with her telepic, telepathic gift, and he's very forthright. You see how Jesus uses the dynamics together. Just like with Helen Shuckman and Bill Thetford, he's, he told them that they had complementary ego dynamics. Where do you hear that? Where do you hear a term like complementary ego dynamics? Only from Jesus Christ. Only Jesus could get away with such a phrase. If Freud used it, they'd, ah, you know, any psychologist said, oh, you and your wife, you know, you have good complementary ego dynamics. He'd be like, okay, let's get another shrink. Uh, this one's <laughs> a little wacko. But Jesus is not wacko. He's, he's using what people believe in to bring them together so that they can drop the mask and wake up and see that they're the Christ. So when you look at your own relationships, don't think there's any accidents that you were unlucky with some of your relationships. Oh no, oh, the Master is behind arranging time and space and just bringing into your awareness the most helpful ones to help you realize that there are no secrets, no private minds, and no private thoughts. So here we go. The this, this episode and perhaps the next one, you're going to see this dynamic used in, a, in the most spectacular way. But right now we're at the very beginning. They've just kind of come together for, the, for their collaboration. Okay, now there we see it, like it's a, a bunk room of teeps and they're all going through the nightmare because they're all telepathic. Um, Mary's having her kind of nightmarish thoughts of, of a reading that she's done and then all of them in the bunks are all going through the same nightmare. And that's a beautiful scene because that is really the whole situation here on planet Earth. It's just really one mind that's forgotten its one mind, now it believes it's private minds with private thoughts, and then there seems to be shared private thoughts, like shared prejudices, shared racism, shared sexism, shared discrimination, shared judgments, shared thoughts about inferiority, shared thoughts about superiority. So we're perceiving a planet and a world where it seems to be private thoughts projected outward. And these are all thoughts that are in the mind. The world is, is a projection. The people that are walking around, they each seem to have a mind of their own. Seven billion people with a mind of their own. And then of course when you talk about the animals and the plants, and there's a lot of minds. <laughs> it's a lot of multiplicity. It's just a projection of the ego belief. There's really only one ego. But, Jesus says in the Course, everyone makes an ego for himself and for everyone else. You see, so he's still kind of talking as if there's private minds, because he's trying to use the Course to reach the mind. So he says, everyone makes an ego for himself and everyone else, but really it's just one ego. It's just a projection of the ego, the belief that separation and private minds and private thoughts are possible. So that's a beautiful scene there, you can see they're all going through a nightmare, and that's pretty much describes the human race. I mean, not just in 2020, I'm talking historically. Wars, suspicions, conflicts between countries, between people, 
in relationships, look, this is a projection of the belief in conflict. It has nothing to do with reality, it has nothing to do with heaven, it has nothing to do with oneness, and, and so it's like, it seems to be like a shared nightmare. Now, if you study the Course, what Jesus is saying, he said, well here's a divine law for you, only the thoughts of God can be shared, that God, God shared the mind of God, and God shared everything in the mind of God, and that's how Christ was created, through the sharing of, of eternal thoughts. So God is an eternal being, God has eternal thoughts, God shares eternal thoughts, God doesn't share some eternal thoughts, God shares all eternal thoughts. And Christ, literally in creation, inherits everything that comes from God. In fact, Jesus says, Christ and God are the same in every way except for one thing. God created Christ and Christ did not create God. That's the only distinction. But it's just, you can see how freely God gives. God gives everything away. God gives all of love, all of infinity, all of oneness to the Christ creation. But this world is the belief that something other than God, other than love, can exist. So this world entails the ego belief that you can share private thoughts and you can, you can share illusions. So it's just one mind that's having a hallucination of a time-space world, all because of one tiny mad idea. One laughable tiny mad idea that says you can create other than, than God. Now we bring in the third category from our survey says, Authority problem, with only 10 votes, but yet, very important, not overlooked. The belief that you can create unlike God is what the authority problem is. It's like saying, oh, God is, no, God's not my author. I can be the author of myself and I can make myself in any shape, in any size, in any era, in any time, in any dimension. I can make up my own identity. I'm, I'm, I don't have to accept myself as a pure spirit that God created me, as I can make myself up different than God created me. That's what Jesus calls the authority problem. That comes in third on our survey, but nevertheless, Jesus is like, actually it's number one. But that's your authority problem. You may only give it ten votes, but the only reason you're afraid of love is because of the authority problem. And the only reason you are dealing with specialness big time every moment of every day is because of the authority problem. So he gives it 40 votes. Okay, he's saying, okay, that's actually your key thing. But we'll focus on, for our sake, we're going to come at it from fear of love and from specialness. So, so this is a, an important scene because just that little scene in the green light with the, uh, with that, uh, like bunk room where they're all, all the teeps are sleeping, that's symbolic of the whole world for us. You know, that's the problem is there's nightmares going on that God didn't create. And the only reason they're, they're scary is because of the belief that they're real. It's not that, that darkness can overcome light. You know, perfect love cast out fear, the Bible says. And and that's why it's so important to realize these basic teachings from the Course. That ideas leave not their source. That Christ has never left the mind of God, and never could. That's why the separation is impossible. That's why private minds and private thoughts are impossible. 
is because ideas leave not their source. Now, if we take that same idea, ideas leave not their source, and we apply it to the sleeping mind, it seems like there's many people out there in an external world with external animals and planets and galaxies and stars and black holes. All that's a projection. And basically there's only one ego. And all you have to do is to overlook that ego belief in order to see the correction, to see the truth. So that's why relationship, that's why this is a course not just in meditation or a course in chanting or a course in, you know, all kinds of techniques and rituals that have been used for many centuries to reach God. This is a course in using relationships to reach eternal oneness. How do you do that? It's a course in saying, if you have a relationship, any relationship you seem to experience in time and space, is a reflection of your mind. It's a huge opportunity to overlook the belief in private minds and private thoughts. It's a huge opportunity to see that we are the same one. That, that literally, I am you and you are me in, in mind. Not in personality, not in the world of form, but in mind that everything is unified and connected. So now it's starting to get uh, interesting because we see that the teeps, uh, that woman Mary, you know, she's having nightmares. You know, like in this world there's such a thing as like prostitution where you try to hire somebody for sex. That guy was hiring her because he was getting off on some kind of a fantasy of, of her reading his past memories and past lives. You know, imagine paying somebody to read your mind, like almost like a kind of a psychic prostitute or something. It's still the ego trying to get its kicks out of separation, out of even fantasies. You know, you could see him laying there and, and, and kind of getting, getting off on some kind of a fantasy of, of mind reading. And uh, this is just another misuse of mind, like Jesus is saying, you have to bring all these psychic abilities under, under Christ's control or under the use of the Holy Spirit for them to benefit you because even psychic abilities by nature are, are still constructs, are still make-believe. In heaven you don't need psychic abilities because you're just one. <laughs> so there's no need for psychic abilities. But with time and space, it's not so much a matter of whether psychic uh, powers are good or evil, it's the, the use to which they're put. Uh, which, which master? Are you going to put them under the use of the ego or the Holy Spirit? You know, that's really the only question. And that's the same with the body. Is this body going to serve the ego or the Holy Spirit? Is this uh, intelligence, this learning that I've acquired in the world, these skills that I've acquired through the ego in learning the world, are they under the Holy Spirit's control? Where are they under the ego's control? That's the question. That's what Shakespeare was talking about when he said, to be or not to be, that is the question. It was really to be in alignment with the source or to not be in alignment with the source. We're making that decision every single moment of every single day, and that's why it becomes extremely important to discern between these two purposes in the mind so that you can be a hundred percent aligned with the Spirit.
So let's see where this is going. Now we've got the teeps, the normals, and the cops, <laughs> and riots, and a lot of unrest going on, and now we've got our our beginnings of our holy relationship, the beginnings between Agent Ross and Honor. Sometimes I feel like I'm a broken aerial just picking up all the chatter. And the grapevine never stops. When I'm with you, it's quiet. So there it is. She is telepathic and she's empathic and she feels quiet. When I'm with you, I'm quiet. And, and this is, you might say, the spirit's use of perception. Like when we talk about the law of attraction, uh, it's, or the laws of manifestation, it's like the spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to have to use everything that the ego made to unwind the ego completely from the mind, to, to be able to join so fully with the Holy Spirit that you can overlook the ego entirely. There's no aspect of the ego that still is a block. And the, that's the height, that's the farthest the mind training can go, that's as far as consciousness can reach, where it, you might say it becomes purified consciousness, which is, is kind of a bit of an oxymoron, because Consciousness is the domain of the ego, but when you come to a sense of wholeness or unified mind, or you could say unified consciousness, then that's just seeing one ego. And that also entails the ability to overlook it. Because you're not fooled by the belief that they're separate people with separate minds. You're not fooled by behaviors. You start to realize that behaviors just come from thoughts and beliefs, and that when you are able to overlook the ego beliefs and thoughts, then you can not only read minds like Jesus could, he, he was very famous for reading the minds of those around him, but you also overlook the ego so you know they're, they're the spirit, they're the same spirit, they're the same mind. That's why Jesus was defenseless. You know, he, imagine going through the crucifixion scene and Imagine that you kind of vaguely, on the edge of your, of your awareness, you can pick up these, these slight um, sensations, and, but they don't have any kind of um, intensity with them. Like, there's no pain associated with these sensations. They're more like neutral sensations. That's what Jesus was going through on the cross when they were hammering nails into his arms and legs. He was getting these soft little vibrations with no pain associated at whatsoever. You know, that's why he could say, forgive them for they know not what they do, because he wasn't experiencing that there was something not him that was capable of doing something to him. Because he'd reached a merged state of awareness where he just had these slight little sensations, but there wasn't any pain or there was no uh, Nothing hurtful associated with these. Almost like if, imagine somebody had a feather and they were tickling on your arm and your legs. And you, you know, that's a little different than the human perception of stakes, nails being driven through flesh and bones. You see how different the human perspective is from the Christ 
uh, right-minded perspective. There's nearly no relation there. One is up totally above the battleground. It's totally be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. And the other is the ego going, that's got to hurt. You know, that the spikes going through flesh and bone is, you know, it's just already imagining what that must have been through its whole, its whole sacrifice idea. But that's on the earth plane. So this is good because now she, twice now she says you're different and, and, and she's reading him. And she's not only reading him, she's feeling him. And she's feeling there's a quiet there. Like, wow, there's this, some integrity there. There's this, there's this mind that is not just constantly judging. There is someone who really wants to be helpful, truly helpful. Someone who's good inside. And, and so she is, is reading him. And this is exactly how it goes when you move towards holy relationship. You know, that's when you can start to feel this deep love and deep connection is because you feel more and more and more what is real and true and you draw forth witnesses to what's real and true and you come closer and closer in perception to that unified field, that quantum field, that happy dream that Jesus experienced as he freed his mind from the ego. So it's very much something to put your mind into, your attention. And even in this relationship between Honor and Agent Ross, you can start to see that, you know, she's dealing with where she lives, you know, he's saying, you know, it's in the slums and everything, and she's like, you know, we're not trying to revolt, we just, we just, we're trying to live, we just want to live a life, you know, and, and then she starts to, her shields go up and he comes right in with you know, the egg sandwich. And he's got a bit of telepathy too going on there for Agent Ross, you know. I know you like egg sandwiches. And she's like, she takes, takes the thing and like, damn. He's like, he knows too. And, but did you see how the Spirit's using it to bring the love in there. Even the playful moment with the egg sandwich, you know. There's a smile on both of their faces, you know. Because because the love is coming through. The Spirit is using the relationship to draw them closer and closer into the, the oneness, into the unified mind, into the connection. That's the same that's happening with all of us. That's what we're doing on Wednesday nights. We're all drawn. We seem to have bodies in different locations, but we're really being zoomed in, literally zoomed in, in a good way. <laughs> pun intended, we're being zoomed in to our right mind together and it's, it's glorious, you know, it's like, wow, that's, hey, this is the answer to my prayer. I want to start to see how anything that the ego made can be used if it's channeled in the direction of the Holy Spirit, if it's channeled to strengthen my awareness that I'm a mind and not a body. You can't be both a mind and body. You know, one is vast, and one is extremely limited. And you can't be both. Even though in this world it seems oftentimes for human beings it seems like they're more a body than a mind. You know, they, they can talk about their mind but sometimes they confuse it with the brain. And you see how the brain is just another part of the body. It's, it's a thick mesmerism of false identity and false identification. So here we go. We're get, it's getting interesting now. We're zooming in towards the 
towards the connection because now they're they're actually uh, starting to you can see there's a bit of a of a, a recognition in there beneath the attraction that he's kind of like hmm, kind of cool having a teep as a partner and she's like hmm, I like this no people pleasing cup yeah I like that you know they're both starting to feel like yeah I like this this is this is a good thing it's moving in the right direction. So this is like a little bit of the motive of the ego now using the telepathic powers for revenge. You know, the teeps feel like we're a minority, um, we're persecuted, we're misused, we're abused, which is the ego telling the mind, the sleeping mind that. Now use the power of the mind, like like when Mary got into the car with the, with that man, you know, it's like it, the revenge motive of the ego it shows how the ego can use telepathic powers just as well as the spirit can. This is a good example of that. And, and it's starting, it's, you know, it's, it's time. It's almost like uh, they're telepathically, the teeps are communicating with each other. It's like, let's rise up. And um, it's very similar to what's going on in the United States now and has gone on for many centuries where the oppressed, uh, the, the perceived oppressed are revolt, you know, like the Beatles. You know, you say you want a revolution, you know, well, that's what happens where the ego still is telling the mind, you've been mistreated, now you've got to rise up, you've got to overthrow somebody, you've got to take them out of power, you've got to change the world, you've got to change society. It's still, you see how it's stirring up a rebellion. Whatever the ruling class have had the power too long, now we will rebel and the teeps will, will, we have to rebel, we have to fight back. Actually what's happening is the ego is using this belief in rebellion and it's using it in the projection to kind of turn, the images are clashing with each other. But remember the ego made up all the images, so this this isn't a real rebellion, this isn't a real revolution, it's not a real uh, fight, a real war. The ego's made the whole thing up. It's, both, it's playing both characters. Remember, God is the creator of oneness and love and pure spirit and the ego projects a world of opposites. Why? Because the split in the mind between Holy Spirit and ego is so intense. A split mind between love and fear, it's so intense that it projects a world of duality, it projects a world of, of multiplicity, and then it has the parts clash against each other in an illusion of, of a conflict, an illusion of a battle. And if you believe in it, you fall into false empathy, you fall into false belief, you, you, your emotions come up, you know, you, you watch a scene on TV and you feel the rage or the anger coming up because there's something inside of you goes, that's just not right. That's not the way you treat people. Wait a minute, who created the people? Who, or we should say projected, who projected the people out there? Who projected the, lin the script of linear time? Uh, where Jesus says, you know, it, you keep making the same mistake in the present. He said, history would not exist if you didn't keep making the same mistake in the pr present. What is this mistake except the belief in private minds and private thoughts projected outward? 
he's telling us don't don't project it to time because you're trying to use the projected world to justify how you feel and you're just trying to adapt and adjust to the ego's trick to the ego's projection and every time you get involved in the projection you're still reinforcing the ego in your mind because you're still reinforcing the one that made the world so the only way you're going to have to do it is like uh, remember the Matrix scene where uh, Neo's kind of in his own little apartment and he's doing his things, he falls asleep at his computer while it's going along and then uh, what's it, his, his buddy Troy comes and knocks on the door and he goes there and he's basically told follow the white rabbit uh, but basically Troy is the Holy Spirit in that scene because he looks at Neo and Neo's like really fried and Troy says you need to unplug. <laughs> yeah, that's the Holy Spirit. You need to unplug from the ego if you're going to find enlightenment, if you're going to find self-realization, if you're going to know who you truly are and know how powerful the mind really is, you have to unplug like Troy's telling uh, Neo. Good scene. Follow the white rabbit and then he does follow the white rabbit. He, he goes with them and he meets Trinity at the bar at the, at the loud bar dance disco thing, whatever, and then on, he's on his way to then meet Morpheus and here we go. You know, the Spirit's taken one step at a time, taking you to spiritual awakening. So this is an important scene here in the sense that, you know, here's Honor and she's picking up the, the deep rebellion in her mind and they've already raided the whole place where she lives and they're pounding on the car and her partner's saying we need to, you know where Mary is, I don't know where she is she says, uh, I need to protect you so he's wanting to, to, their relationship which is very helpful to bring order, to bring peace he's wanting that relationship to continue it's almost a sense of wanting to protect her and, and that happens too, that's just a good use of protection you might say by the, by the spirit or the angels while the relationship in form is still being used for the undoing of the ego and, and full communication then, then it seems to have a temporary value just because of the use that's given to it not that it, it means anything in truth or it doesn't mean anything in eternity but in terms of time it's, it's valuable if it's being used to unwind the mind from the ego and to help transcend the ego and to help re-establish this full sense of communication. So here we go, we're going to roll this and watch what happens. It's a great adventure. Jesus or not? What does he mean? Why are you a weapon? Nothing. He, do he doesn't mean anything. He's, he's stalling. Don't be so modest, Agent Ross. Tell her about your gift. That's enough, Cutter. What does he mean? I mean that, quite frankly, he's a weapon. Why? Why? Read him and find out. Okay, now we're getting down to the trust issues. Yeah, in the relationship. Because clearly this, this man who's developed all the hoods, you know, he's, he's speaking from the perspective that, that the hoods are protection, that they, they are necessary 
as a defense against the teeps. And, and yet, metaphysically, if we take that a little bit further in, we can start to see that, that this is the same kind of defenses that come up in all relationships when things start to get really intimate. When the mask starts to drop, when you start to feel this deep love and connection, then there's the ego part of the mind that goes, do I have to give up me to be loved by you? Do I have to give up my identity to merge in this powerful force of love? That, that this man, this scientist that's made the hoods, is, is giving the whole perspective of the ego, like, like what we have made, we have to protect. There has to be protection mechanisms built in to protect the privacy. Why? Why is privacy so important? Because the very identity of being separate from God is all based on privacy, private thoughts and private minds. It's such a big issue because it goes to the very core of identity. Do I trust the spirit in me to take me back to the light? Or can I maintain a separate, unique, individual sense of identity? You know, as, as basically when you work with the Course, you start to realize that's what it's coming down to. That the fears are not really fears of what may happen in form or what may happen in the dream world. It's the fear of losing specialness. It's the fear of using, losing individuality. It's the fear of losing uniqueness. That is the terror in the mind. And this man is really speaking the whole philosophy of the ego. So much so, that he's trying to justify why he's made the hoods, you know, why he, they're, they're a form of protection uh, for the normals, against the teeps. And again, you have the, the projection of the, of the two sides, the teeps and the normals. Even though the spirit is working to show us that that's just an artificial construct, they really aren't separate camps, separate people, separate divisions, separate groups. It's all just a splinter in the mind, like Morpheus says, driving you mad. Or it's like Jesus saying, you know, before you get the speck out of your brother's eye, he said in the Bible, get the beam or the log out of your own. Get the log of separation, of ego out of your mind before you dare project onto your brothers and sisters. Pluck the offense out of your mind. Pluck the ego out of your mind. That's the cure. Not changing the world. Seek not to change the world. Seek rather to change your mind about the world. Change your perspective. So here she comes in, and he right away, when he's like, I'm being read. He, he feels right away she's being read. And then, as she comes closer, he starts saying, tell, you know, tell her about a gift. Your gift. You have this great gift. You, you know, and, and now the curiosity is up for honor. She's wondering, what gift? What haven't you told me? And, and he's saying, read him, read him. Because the ego always has to search for a sense of doubt. There has to be, think about your own relationships and how, no matter how they were kindling and no matter how they were going along, whenever a sense of doubt creeps into the relationship, that is the beginning of the ego saying, get rid of your brother, get rid of your sister, break up, preserve your sense of uniqueness and specialness, don't 
give in to that love, don't give in to that rinsing of the mind and washing of the mind. Hang on to your separateness. The ego, that's why the ego invented the world and bodies, is to, to make up a false sense of love, a substitute for divine love, that involved bodies. And then it really plays that out to the hilt, to defend against one thing, the realization that you're mind, that you're pure mind, that you've always been mind. So basically, all the people, the ego peopled this world all as a rebellion against divine love. This world, this projected world of time and space is the Lucifer rebellion, sometimes it's called, is the, is the Lucifer falling from grace and taking on an attempt at love in form. And it's not love at all. It, it doesn't last. The body certainly doesn't last. It's very temporary. It's not eternal. It's part of a, a vast trick. A, a time is a trick. Lesson 158, in which figures seem to come and go. It's all, that's the rebellion, is the perception of this separate world, of this fragmented world. That's the Lucifer rebellion. It's not happening inside the world, between this country and that country, or this race and that race, or, or this group of people and that group of people. It's in the mind. But the closer you get back to the mind, that's where the ego gets the trickiest. Because right now, this ego character will say, who's talking about the value of the hood and the value of protecting from the teeps, he's like saying, read his mind. He's got a gift. You see how the ego is trying to turn them against each other. He hasn't told you anything. He has a gift. But if you read his mind, you'll see what's in it. And the, the ego wants to use that telepathy as a, as a fault-finding, like find the private thoughts. Find those private thoughts in that mind so the ego can say, see I told you, you can't really trust. You can read their mind and you're picking up private thoughts. And then the ego is saying, you know, turn against your partner because there's privacy going on. There's something that wasn't told, it wasn't late. all the cards weren't on the table, so back off and protect yourself. So this is a very important scene, because this is the temptation that the ego will try to break up the mind, to hold the mind away from holy relationship. This is its last ditch attempt to turn one brother against another brother, or in this case, one partner against the other, you know. Like all the stories of whatever, Romeo and Juliet, or all the famous Shakespeare stories, or all the stories throughout history, you got a love affair, a, a, a love affair unfolding, and then, then comes the temptation to judge a brother as not being in harmony with you. What, oh I found it on the credit cards, what's this on the credit card statement? What, what is this charge? Uh, oh, I've got your, I got the cell phone here. Ah, uh, what is it? What is this text message? Who is this? You know, you can see it's always, the ego's always going to get one scrap. Aha! You see, it's always trying to, to break the mind, keep the mind broken. It doesn't want the mind to, to come back to unity and unify. It's always going to find some evidence. So this is what's happening in this scene. Okay, we'll let it play to the end because it's a good one. 
I didn't want to hurt you, but it wasn't my choice to block you. You can't trust him, Honor. Then let me read you. I'll know the truth if I read you. So, Honor had the ability to read minds. He had the ability to block a mind being read. And in the end, she says, let, let me read you. And he says, forgive me. You know, that's, that's really bringing it all down together in the sense that, that the whole call is, please, you can read my mind, but you can't read my heart. Please see my innocence. Please see past the private thoughts. Please see past the judgments. Please see the truth. You know, please come all the way to the face of Christ. Please pay no attention to the forms and the memories of time. Please trust that there's an innocence that's a light beyond these thoughts of time and space. And that's really, the, that's the call of, of Jesus. He's, he's given us this course to say, if you can just see the innocence in one brother or one sister, you're back you, where you've never left. You, you will remember your true identity. But you have to be willing to overlook every single private thought. That means every single thought of linear time in order to see that innocence. What I thought my brother did to me did not occur. You know, they have to go past the behaviors, past the projection, past the reasons and the justifications for remaining separate. It always comes down to that in relationships where there's, there's that point, am I willing to go beyond what I think I perceive and what I think I know to, to the innocence? And so, to me, that's just such a powerful scene at the end where she's saying, I need to read you so I can trust you. I need to read you so I can trust you. And he says, forgive me. And in the sense of, please look past whatever seems to be between us. So, yeah, we got lightning outside here. He goes stirred up here. We got lightning down here in Mexico as we're getting down, we're getting down to the deep stuff here. That's why this is a course in relationships, because Jesus is, is saying, you can, you can so fully, so completely overlook the projection that you actually see that the projection is not real. It's, it, it's not who you are. You've never been a character on the screen of the world. You've never been a character amongst other characters. No character on that screen has ever done anything wrong or right. That's, that's the, how all-encompassing forgiveness is. is the, you're not forgiving the evil. You're not just forgiving the, the seeming judged wrongdoing. You are forgiving all the positive judgments too. <laughs> all the all the make-believe positive judgments that were projected to the screen as well as the negative ones because 
The projection is the projection. This is the grand, the great projection of the cosmos. This is the veil that covers the face of Christ. And, and yet, in the context of relationship, we have the greatest opportunity to escape from time altogether by going beyond the projection. So, that was the first one. So, I think what I'll do is I'm going to open it up to one person uh, to tell us what you got and what you felt from this and then I'm going to say to that one person, are you going to give me the thumbs up to go towards the second one? I got to have the thumbs up. If you're confused and you're like, hey I need, I need help, I need some spiritual psychotherapy, my world is spinning after one, we'll take the rest of the two more hours to go into the, the healing. But if you're ready, we also have queued up um, our second one called, we call Ascension Through Relationship, of going beyond personalities to divine love, you know, to letting go of the Lucifer rebellion of private minds, private thoughts. So, yeah, Eric, look around, let's see if we have a hand up or we see somebody who, who really, uh, Maybe you can read their face, Eric, if, they, <laughs> if they've got that, that look. Use your telepathic, <laughs> if we don't get a hand up, just look into those faces and find that, that transparent, authentic one that can tip us off to, the, to eternity. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm, I think I'm going with Esther here. Go Esther! Ahead. <laughs> oh, what's coming up for me is um i i read i i i have an issue that has to do with the topics that you're discussing it seems um can i go into specifics a little bit yeah that's okay, great so, so um this lawyer um, wrote up a will and testament for my mom and in it it's a special needs trust for me um, but it says that they have the authority my understanding is they are saying that they have the authority to dismiss whatever trustee they that my mom assigns and I um, had already put um, beneficiaries on most of her money and I'm getting the guidance, it seems, at first, to keep those beneficiaries there, regardless of what the document says, in terms of everything going to the Special Needs Trust. But I don't know what will happen when she dies and what will be considered prior or, or, or before, and I don't know if that confusion would be too much but I'm so scared that the lawyer is taking advantage of the situation with that, with the wording of that document. And I don't know what to do. And I've been praying on it and I've been letting it go. Um, how I know how, whatever, uh, that it's in the mind and what you're discussing, these, these, these way you're describing things. Um, but I just feel like, I just want to know what's really going on and how to proceed if there is a 
way to know that. Okay, that's fantastic, Esther, because you're you're bringing up this is your this is the private thought is the belief that that I could be taken advantage of in the future um, due to these this legal document um, and the enforcement of this legal document. Okay, let's switch to Helena Elias who who just had to go see her lawyer and she had a similar fear and she was going to pray about it. Helena, let's let's see how you handled that that thing because your situation is is a parallel here to Esther because you were concerned about a, a mortgage and uh, you were going to go check with your lawyer to see about your name being excluded from it and it's it's a similar it's a parallel kind of thing and you were just going to pray before you went in so how did that go yeah for me i needed to really be transparent and ask for clarity so it something didn't feel right the document that i was um being given didn't didn't feel right to me it didn't it did feel like I was signing all my rights away by the way that it, it was laid out. And so I really needed help with that. I did go to Danny. We discussed it. Um, and then we, we, we reached out to the lawyer and asked for clarity and to simplify what this all means. And, and that helped. And so he actually what happened was it was the wrong document altogether. And, um, I was brought in to sign a different document entirely that helpful, but I, I just, yeah, I think for me it was really being honest that I didn't understand and it didn't feel right and I needed clarity and help. And so it, it turned out all good, actually. It, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the document yeah. was just, yeah, that the bank would get their money and of course they should get their money and I wouldn't take any rights above the bank. So it all ended up making sense. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Helena, because that's, and Esther, you can see from what Helena has shared, you know, how prayer and communication and not holding back any thoughts was the key to what seemed to be more of a, of a washing away of any fears or doubts. And that really relates to our last scene in the movie too, you know, because underneath the two, the fire burning, the door closed, the window, and these two partners that had been collaborating through the whole movie, it was a call for prayer and it was a call for communication. And that's why we, even with our community, have these guidelines of no private thoughts and no people-pleasing. Uh, of not trying to push ahead with something in form if there still remains a doubt, if there still remains a, a concern, and trusting that if we reveal everything, if we're transparent, that it will wash away the, the fear uh, that we're perceiving. And beyond that, I think if we start to go and take it just into the mind, really off of the personal, uh, interpersonal realm, we can start to see that it's still 
this belief that there could be a, an outsider or another, or we'll even say a world that could do something to us against our will. And, and Jesus is teaching us in the Course is that's what this whole world is. It's the belief that something can happen to you against your will. That's a summary of the whole time-space cosmos is the belief that something can happen to you against your will. And then Jesus is telling us, please trust me, your will and God's will are the same. God is happiness, God created you in happiness, and the only reason you're doubting anything in time and space is because you doubt your own will. You don't see that your will and your Creator's will are the same. You actually believe that it's possible to have a different will than God, a different will than the Source, a different will than the Creator, and then any scenario that plays out where we have a doubt, where we're thinking, oh, I could get hurt by this. Uh, or the, there's a, a belief in secrecy, like something could be done apart from my own will, or something could be hidden from me, or something could be denied me, other than myself. There's some external agent or external force that has the power to make me feel hurt, make me feel sad. You know, this is the core, core belief. So, so in one sense, uh, what Helena just described was through the power of prayer and through the power of communication and a transparency with the lawyers, with her husband Danny, with everyone involved, the banks, with everyone involved, it cleared. And how does that feel, Esther? Can you see that application to your situation that you're perceiving? Um, what occurred to me was something that you taught um, with the um, with with uh, Lainey, how she had the private thought about the food and that she wasn't going to pay for it. And then she was attacked, her mom was attacked, and that was on my mind about being transparent. I don't, I, I'm conflicted in, um, and also I was wondering also, do I really want something to not go properly? Like, is there a, a desire for it not to work out so that I can show that I do need my mom and she shouldn't have left me? Um, so. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. How sweet that you're so introspective where you're, you're like looking in your own heart and you're saying, is there still any motive of, of, of fear or doubt in me? And you know, that's, that's beautiful. That's actually the prayer that heals. Because it's, it's not putting it out onto the characters. It's like saying, do I still feel I need something from my mother or something even financially? You know, is God my source? Is God my provider? Is Jesus taking me on this whole journey saying, please hide nothing from me and I'll provide everything you seem to need while you still believe in it? just so you can come all the way 
home to me, and that's beautiful. I could just see it in your face, you're so sincere. <laughs> your eyes are, are so sincere, because that's when we look within, within our own heart. Like, like Gandhi one time, they, they did ask Gandhi, they said, uh, Mr. Gandhi, do you think there's a devil? Do you really think there's a devil? And he said, well, if there is a devil, he's running around in our own hearts. And, and Gandhi lived at the same time as Hitler. You see how he wouldn't project the, the devil onto Hitler. He said, if there is a devil, it's running around in our own hearts. And that's what Jesus had said too, blessed are the pure of heart, they shall see God. So now with, with you, Esther, and with Helena, are you both willing to give us the thumbs up to go to ascension through relationship. We have to get your thumbs up. Is that, did we get at the, the core of it there, Esther? One more thing. <laughs> um, before, we, before we get to the core of it, um, with, with, this, with this not trusting, I, I feel like I have to keep the beneficiaries, the way I set it up, not not to make it for the trust, but to make it for the person who's who would would have been in charge of the trust. And because I have um, programs that I'm involved in, and it just seems like even if even if I had the special needs trust, I I wouldn't be able to use it. Because then the way the way I've been granted what I've been granted with her being alive. Well, do you feel if you pray on this, do you feel it's something that you can can raise can can raise that thought? It sounded like you had a little bit of concern, like if you raised this thought, that there could be a consequence. To it, but what Helena was saying is, she went in there, and she prayed, and she went in there to to speak her mind and to share everything, in the in the context of trust. Like I, I trust nobody's trying to harm anybody here. It's just for my own mind to get clear on 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 everything. So you feel a sense of peace with with everything, including the way the agreement is written. So, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like there's anything that you are still hiding or protecting? If I were to say all of those things, then there would be nothing left to hide. That, was, that would be it. That would be it. Okay, well I think you have your answer there. That's, that's beautiful. That's good. Okay, here we go. So now, we are going right at the throat of the Lucifer Rebellion. It's not that the humans are rebelling, it's the mind that is trying to deny God's will for perfect happiness is in a state of rebellion. <laughs> With, not in reality, but in, in awareness. It, if, if God's will for us is perfect happiness, and we're not experiencing perfect happiness, it must be it's not God that's the problem. <laughs> it's, it's trying to hold on to an alien will. It's trying to hold on to an, the, some kind of belief that our will is separate from God. 
and and that there's a, some kind of a, a a threat to awakening to God. So we're really looking with this next adventure. It's going to be another relationship adventure where we're going to go again to a futuristic world where where it's not like dating is by chance. It's, it's that every single date and every single relationship is set up by this um, system in which you are given an assignment, a partner, for a period of time and then you have to move on to your next assignment. You know, you're given a, a basically a, a time-related partnership. This can even be helpful to think in these terms, because a lot of times when we try to think in terms of I marry you till death do you part, you know, that's kind of a, an interesting construct, but is, is that actually uh, what serves the whole? This, this uh, next, it's a Black Mirror episode, right? We're going into Black, Black Mirror now. It's a Black Mirror episode exploring the purpose of relationships, the purpose of communication, and the idea that perhaps that our attempt to cling to interpersonal love is, is a step that can be used by the Holy Spirit to re release the rebellion that we're holding on to, rebelling against the will of God. So it really gives us a whole context for letting relationships be used to end the rebellion in our own heart, to end the ego attachment and the ego misidentification that we've been holding on to because believing in the ego is the attempt to rebel against love and oneness. And all we're doing tonight is we're trying to overcome our fear of love and our attachment to specialness. That's really what we're praying for with, with this episode. So, okay, now I present to you a Black Mirror episode. It's been renamed for our Living Miracles Purposes to Ascension Through Relationships. If you want to check it out on the internet, it's under a different name. It's called Hang the DJ, you see. We've, we've given it a little different name, Ascension Through Relationships, but it's actually episode called Hang the DJ. So let's roll it. Let's roll into number two here. Is it on, sweet? Shower or bath? Both. Ah, oh, that's good. Uh, well, I'm, I'm just going to use the... Oh, yeah, I've got to uh, over here, so... <clears throat> <laughs> Here we go. Even this in this brief relationship assignment where they both know it's a very brief assignment, you can see the awkwardness, you can see the uneasiness, you know, like breaking the ice. Uh, they both are going to their little uh, their little spiry system there. Uh, what do I do, you know? And both of them go to, she goes to the ensuite, he goes to the other end, to both ask the, about sex. Uh, and it's kind of interesting, you know, that here it just shows how important the body is on, on planet Earth, you know. 
Jesus is basically saying, if you only knew the context for relationships, it's not about the time that you seem to be involved in them that matters. It's not about these, all these specifics that seem to be so important in relationships. In this case, they both are asking, is it okay to have sex? You know, to their little spiritual advisor there, and they're, and they're relaxed, they're so grateful that it's all mapped out, uh, that they have some parameters, you know, like it's not too wide open, that they have some parameters, and they don't have to be concerned about breaking up, because it's already been determined. But still, it really starts to, to point out the purpose of relationships is just to show you what's going on in your mind. It's like everything is just a mirror to show you what's going on in your consciousness. It doesn't have any specific purpose in form. It's only to show you what you're thinking and what you believe. Everything, every circumstance, every relationship, if it's just meeting somebody in the elevator or saying hi to somebody on the street, Jesus talks about this in the manual for teachers, you know, there seem to be levels of relationship. He talks about the casual encounters and then the second level is two people who come together for a fairly intense teaching learning situation and then they appear to separate. And then the third one he talks about are lifelong. If the two decide to learn it, the perfect lesson is before them and can be learned. Very helpful, very positive. But he's basically saying, at the beginning of the relationship section, when he's demystifying relationships in the teacher's manual of A Course in Miracles, he says basically there aren't any levels. He starts off by saying that, that teaching and learning goes on all the time, it's continuous, and it's really, it's happening in your mind. It's not happening in the form. So, you can't even say that you have relationship classrooms in the world. It's the classroom is the mind. The mind is where all the teaching and learning is occurring. It's just in terms of your thoughts and beliefs. There are no lessons to learn in the form. It's the lesson of forgiveness. You came by believing in the ego. You can dispel it now by withdrawing all the investment in the ego. Now think, let's contrast this perspective of Jesus with relationships to, to how relationships are perceived through the ego. Why do people get involved in relationships? Money, security, safety, attraction, pleasure, uh, believing that you can gain something in terms of like assets um, or standing social status. I mean, we could go on and we could make a list of probably easily 200 things that, that the ego will enter into relationships for. And what is the commonality between all those things? To get something that you believe you're lacking or believe that you don't have. And by using the bodies, using the relationship, you will gain something that you're lacking. It could be with a parent. It could be with a a child, it can be with a, an iPhone. I mean, you may think you're, you're a better person if you have an iPhone, you know? You may think, now, that really complements my mind, <laughs> you know? Helps me remember things, appointments, great little communication device. You know, you can have specialness 
with anything, but specialness is the, the belief that you're lacking something and you need to get something from some person, place, thing, situation. You know, you're looking, and certainly with relationships, the ego made the bodies and put the bodies out there, we'll say, projected them there as mechanisms that the ego could use for getting. So the body and the persona is, is going to be used by the ego to get something. Get status, get safety, get security, get possessions, get something. Get uh, for a husband and a wife even, it can be part of a picture. Oh, I've got a mental picture, I wanted to be married by the time I'm 30, and maybe I have a picture with children, or I have a picture with a certain type of career or status, and it's the, the partnership is kind of just pieces of a puzzle of a fantasy of rebellion from heaven. In other words, oh, I'm not really asking for too much, but gee, I would like my, my life and my lifestyle to look this particular way. And then the mind is looking for something that it sees in the world and it's going to use that for a sense of satisfaction, for a sense of completion, for a sense of fulfillment. Basically it's idolatry. You know, the Bible said, hold no idols before the Lord thy God. He wasn't talking about golden totem poles. He was basically saying, in this projected world of images, the ego is going to try to use the images to make a self-concept that God didn't create. So you can have an ego rebellion against the Creator, against the Source. So relationships are solely for the ego for the purposes of getting something. Now what I like in this first opening scene of this uh, Ascension Through Relationships is if you just pull away from the banter and you just look at the kind of like, what is the general quality of them coming together? I don't know, when I, when I look at these two coming together in this limited little assignment, I, I saw some some open-mindedness, some playfulness. I noticed, I was looking at all the, the humor uh, that was there from both of them. They both were making jokes. They both were in a kind of a playful, exploratory mood. And there's something really good about that because that is starting to allow, taking the pressure off the relationship and, and coming with a sense of humor and playfulness to use it as an exploration of the mind. That's what it's for. That's the only purpose it has. It, it, it should be in a context of lightness. It should not be in a context of expectations. Of, it should not be in a context of, of promises uh, that, are, that are built on the timeline where you know you Okay, you promise this, well I'll promise this, and you promise, as if you're like two lawyers meeting to form a, a prenuptial fantasy life, and what do you think? Do you agree to this? Well, yeah, I like this too, I like those two. Well, let's, what about that? No, I don't, I can't agree with that. Well, let's agree to disagree, you know, let's get it all kind of, it's all prearranged actually in the mind. Everything that seems to play out as a new relationship assignment 
it, the script is written and this, this script is over and gone. You're just watching, mentally reviewing what has already gone by. Jesus says, believing you're still making the journey. You think it's a new relationship, you think it's a new opportunity. It's only an opportunity to end the, the rebellion against the source. It's only an opportunity to see, wow, I'm totally mistaken about everything that I think I am in this world. There's not a single aspect of what I perceive myself in this world that has an ounce, that has a speck of truth. Because why? Because truth is spirit. And perception is limited, it's temporary, it's here one moment, it's gone the next. If you look at the human history, you know, you look at the evolution and all the human beings that have been born and died and all the animals and all the earth changes, it's just a world of temporary, it's, it's, it's just completely impermanent. But, it's as if the sleeping Christ has decided, hmm, out of all these possibilities, what would I be satisfied with? What images, what scenario, what fantasy will I be able to content myself with? And Jesus comes right out and says, you seek not outside yourself, for it will fail, and you will weep each time an idol falls. He says, at one point in the Beyond All Idol section, I don't know why I keep going back to that, the same section that says, when you decide upon the form of what you want, you lose the understanding of its purpose. It's the same section in the Course, Beyond All Idol section, where Jesus says, your will is universal and cannot be content with form of any kind. Wow! You put those two together, he's telling us that your will is one with God's and you have this powerful mind that's, you're an idea in the mind of God and your will is universal. And every time you try to play small, every time you try to get into littleness, every time you start tinkering around with thoughts about the personality self, what is it that I want out of life? What are my ambitions? What are my goals? What do I want to achieve in form? What do I want to accomplish in form? What's my ideal scenario in form? What's my ideal wish fulfillment? You know, like Freud called dreams wish fulfillment, yeah? What's my ideal wish fulfillment? That's all an attempt to forget the universal will, which is God's will, and, and the will of Christ, and then play small. And then, Jesus is like telling us, why are you so surprised that your interpersonal relationships are unfulfilling? Why, why are you yearning for something more? Why are you yearning for a heart opening, for an expansion? It's because you, you've forgotten your will. At one point, he's, he takes a, a teaching from the Bible, seek, seek ye first, the Kingdom of Heaven. He said, no, instead, will ye first the Kingdom of Heaven. That's, the, that's what he's saying in the Course. Will ye first the Kingdom of Heaven. Use the power of your will. Use the power of your prayer. Use the power of your mind to find out who you are. To find that Christ nature. To find that eternal nature. You can will it. He says, even about the Holy Instant, he says, don't, don't try to prepare yourself for the Holy Instant. You know, 
Don't try to prepare yourself. Don't try to purify yourself first and say, okay, I'm going to really work hard here. I'm going to purify, 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 purify. I'm going to, and that's some more. Purify, 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 and then I'm going to go to the holy instant. After I've purified myself, Jesus is like, give it up. Don't, if you were pure, you wouldn't even need the holy instant. <laughs> Why? Why do you think that you as a person think you have to purify something to go into the holy instant? He said, no, pray for it, desire it, and then he comes right out and says, will ye the kingdom of heaven, will it? Use the power of it. Anybody ever remember that song? Maybe not. Gary Puckett and the Union Gap? I'm like a music fanatic and nobody knows Gary Puckett. No. <laughs> Baby, Willpower, it's now or never. Give your love to me and I'll shower your heart with tenderness endlessly. You know, that's a line. It's a great song. But if you have to look it up and do the Shazam thing, it's, it's Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. Maybe some of you never heard of it. You know the Beatles, but anyway. Willpower, that's what the whole song's about. It's now or never, give your love to me. Wow, I can feel it. And I'm listening to that song, and it's like God is singing to me. Yeah, come on. willpower. Go into the willpower. Tap into the power of your mind. The power of your will is what's going to make you happy. It's going to take you into eternal life. Don't be thinking about your stock portfolio. Don't be concerned about these silly things called fame and money and possessions and success in the world. Those are crumbs. Those are crumbs. Don't seek after the breadcrumbs. Don't seek after the, go to the banquet. Jesus has got the table with a whole feast. And yet when we go into relationships as human beings, what are we after? Okay, is it a good match? Uh, are they successful? Are they intelligent? Are they beautiful? Are they funny? Are they, you know, what's their spiritual orientation? You know, what are they into? You know, it's like, what is this, a grocery market? You go shopping for a partner like you're going to squeeze the melons or squeeze the, the, the apples and the peaches and, and go in the produce section? Oh, yeah, they're Buddhists, but, but you know that they do yoga and they look pretty decent and, and they've got a good job, good career. It's a good mat, you know, good security, you know. Do they have a house? Yeah. A house? They've got a house already? Woo! Stock went up. Does it have a mortgage? No. They've got, they've got, oh boy, is that stock growing higher and higher? You know, you're ready to go to the checkout counter and check out uh, because, you know, because the ego's like, good catch. Anybody ever remember that? This goes back. Fiddler on the Roof. Anybody remember Fiddler on the Roof? Yeah. <laughs> There's, there we go. We got a couple hands going up there. There you go. But you know, it's it's all about getting the right match. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a find. Catch me a catch. You know, and then. And then, if I were a rich man, all day long I'd biddy biddy bum. If I were a wealthy man, 
I wouldn't have to work hard. You know, it's financial security, making a good match, you know. Uh, is it the right match? He's a nice man, a good catch. True, true, I promise you'll be happy, but even if you're not, there's more to life than that. Don't ask me what. You know, it's, it's, these are great songs. You should go see these songs. Watch Fiddler on the Roof. And it's all about getting, 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 getting the right match. It's all about self-improvement. The whole section, as you go to the bookstore, is about self-improvement and self-help. Jesus doesn't want you to help the self, the little self. He wants you to forgive the little self and accept the self that God created, which is pure spirit, which is eternal love and oneness. So this, this is a great little episode, a little black mirror, because I, when I saw these first two come together, I'm thinking, look at them, they're kind of playful, and they're not taking it that seriously. They have their awkwardness and their insecurities and the typical things that come to mind when there's such a, a mirroring that's going on. But they have this brief little encounter, a brief assignment to pay attention to their mind and see what is going on in my mind. What am I looking for? What am I hoping for? What, what outcomes are important? Even in this brief encounter, that means if you just have brief encounters or you go out on a date or you're with somebody for a while in some kind of an assignment, it's like, use it well because it's just a mirror of your consciousness. That's all it is. Nothing more and nothing less. It's nothing more and nothing less than a mirror of consciousness. So it's like, use it well. And that's really what I think this episode is. There's the system and then people are matched up for periods of time and then you're supposed to keep working towards your perfect match and then even the perfect match is not is not given with a hundred percent guarantee. What was it like ninety nine point eight? That's what that's the most that the system can offer you. A ninety nine 0.8% chance of a perfect match. And you have to go through a lot of time, time, to even reach the 99.8% perfect match. Sound familiar? It's a, you know, this is a belief system. This is a belief system. And, and the belief system is, again, is aiming towards an outcome, which is the perfect match, that's the big prize, and then you have to go through these experiences. And, and even when you're in one of the experiences, you see as soon as he got matched up the second time, you know, he was, he was like looking at the clock, looking at how many days, <laughs> reflecting back, 365, you know, and he's laying in bed going, fucking hell, you know, like, oh my God, 365 days, I've got to endure this, you know, just this assignment. And everybody's, but the promise of the future, the, it's like the cheese, you know, the, the, the cheese is on a string out front and you just have to go through all this stuff for all these years or however long it takes to get to the perfect match with 99.3, was it three? Okay. Eight. That's, a, that's still not a hundred. So, so basically, you know, it's part of a system of compromise. 
So you have to believe, you have to start to realize that that's what this is teaching right here, is that it's a system of compromise of coming to know love. And there's, there's time involved, there's many lessons involved, there seems to be a lot of patience and, and endurance and, and persistence and all kinds of things that are required in this compromise system. And yet, if we come back to that basic thing of the mirroring, like this whole system's aimed at a future time, in the future time, perfect match. And you might say that Jesus is basically just saying, when you meet anyone, remember, it's a holy encounter. As you see him, you will see yourself. As you treat him, you will treat yourself. As you think of him, you will think of yourself. Never forget this, for in him you will find yourself or lose yourself. You see, he's really bringing it back to the present moment, and he's saying, what is going on for you right now in time and space, in your consciousness, is always a perfect match, because it's always reflecting what you think and say and do. It's always reflecting what's going on in your mind. It's never not a perfect match. Every moment, even in, he says in the workbook, even in this world, it is I that rule my destiny. What happens is what I desire, and what does not occur is what I do not want to happen. He says in Lesson 152, the power of decision is my own. Like everything that we're perceiving is a result of what is going on in our mind. He says in the early part of the workbook, everything I think, say, and do teaches all the universe. What? What did he say? Everything I think and say and do teaches all the universe. He's saying you have an extremely powerful mind and that everything that you think and say and do as part of that mind is teaching the whole universe. What is it teaching the universe? What I believe I am. So that means everything I think and say and do is teaching me what I believe I am. That means every single encounter is a perfect match. Because why? Because of the purpose. It's showing me my mind. And this world was a world made to keep you mindless. That's why time and space was made by the ego, to keep you not remembering your mind, not remembering how powerful your mind is, not remembering how everything you that you experience is coming as a result of your decision. You know, a decision, he says, is a conclusion based on everything that you believe. And why is that important? It's because, oh, well, everything I believe is teaching the whole universe what I am. So if I have unconscious beliefs in separation, fragmentation, limitation, that I have a will apart from God's, then I'm just perceiving a world that is reflecting back what I believe. It's very, it's very scientific. It sounds almost like Christian science. You know, Mary Baker Eddy taking the mind and, and making it scientific, taking out all ideas of luck, of fortune, of happenstance, and just saying, wow, it's all completely scientific. The world I perceive is a motion picture of my belief system, and I can change my belief system from one of fear to love. Is it going to take attention? Yes. Does it take willingness, determination? Does it take your focus? Does it is it, do you have to put your heart in it? Of yes, 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 of course, of course, of course. 
but the but it's that always whatever I'm experiencing is a perfect match to what's going on in my consciousness, without exception. You know, it's like you know that uh, beautiful teaching about what I perceive is what I desire. That nothing happens to me by chance. I don't feel anything by chance. I don't perceive anything by chance. It's like I can see that I have dominion over the world. Once I have dominion over my mind, I've, I allow it to be lit up by, by the source, then I am not at the mercy of anything in this world because, because I share the same will as, as my Creator. I am responsible for what I see. I choose the feelings that I experience and I decide upon the goal I would achieve and everything that seems to happen to me I ask for and receive as I have asked. Wow, that's, that's amazing. So then you can start to give up the hope of finding that perfect match because what you're perceiving is always matching your mind because it originates in your mind. In fact, it's not even separate from the mind. It's still in the mind that, that thought it. So, it's good. We're watching a phase now where he, uh, our main character, Frank, is, is not really too happy uh, with his year-long commitment. You know, he is just, he is watching the clock. He is just watching the clock. He's waiting for the expiration date on this year. And she, uh, she was quite attracted and this and this and, and she was quite excited and then, ah, you know, ah. and then when she makes a joke about it, he, he's not even aware of ah. So she's got a nine months of, ah, you know, and it's, you know, it's the little things. You know, it's the little things. You know, she was pretty happy. Like, tell me that's him. I cannot confirm it until you meet, you know, and then it is confirmed and then it's looking really good. She's happy to jump into bed with him and, and then, and then there's just one little habit. But, oh, is that the forgiveness lesson? She's got to, she's really got to forgive the, you know, because it's, it's just coming, it's coming and coming and coming. It's, it's like, it's more like he's unaware of it, so it's just like, you've got to take it every day, at any time, you've got to be ready for it. So, it's still, you can see it's still the same forgiveness thing. It's still a perfect match in terms of the mind, but in terms of personalities, that's where the, the rebellion seems to have already taken place. Like, I'm, I'm a separate person, I've already rebelled against my eternal nature, now I'm, a, I'm in the rebellion mode of being a human being and now I'm trying to satisfy myself as a human being by finding another human being <laughs> that can match with me, you see. It's insane, it's ludicrous, but this is laying bare the ego's purpose for relationships. You know, it doesn't want you to look at it as mirroring, it wants you to to find that idol that will satisfy you. And there is no idol that will satisfy the, the Christ. The sleeping Christ is not going to be satisfied with any idol. So, 
Let's go on. Let's see what how our how our couples go here. Well, it's like when it's a long-term thing, it's just as bad, you know. It's like watching the clock like you're a prisoner, counting the hours, counting the minutes. Oh, God, I've been there. Yeah. Yeah, let's not check the expiry then. Yeah. It's a deal. Deal. Okay. Different quality. Different quality picking up in the relationship. And, and really, the one thing is they decided not to check the expiration date. Expiry date. Like the only thing that they're really taking out this time is they're taking out time. They're taking out the expectations of time. And think about guilt in relationship. How much guilt is associated with beginnings and endings and, and more time is supposed to mean more something, you know. We even have celebrations, you know, 10-year wedding anniversary, 20, 30, 40, 50. Yeah, has anybody, any, anybody here experienced like a 50-year 50, 50 uh, wedding, 50-year marriage? I got to watch one. My, my grandmother Lillian and Harry were married for 57 years. And when I talked to them, it was never about the time. They really weren't big on anniversaries. They were just kind of focused on uh, contentment and happiness. They weren't really counting the years. Everybody else seemed to make a big deal about it. But they really weren't focused on the time of it either. It, there was something else there. And, and really, that's what Jesus is just saying. He said, can you, can you join me on this? Can you, can you see that the purpose of your relationship is not about guilt? It's not for the reinforcement of guilt. It's for the relinquishment of guilt. All relationships are for the relinquishment of guilt. And even the categories, not only the time, that's, that's one way of dividing up relationships about length of time. Sometimes, I think people have quoted me saying something like, I would, I would rather have a second of, one second of true intimacy instead of 50 years of compromise. Give me one second of true intimacy. I'll take that over 50 years of compromise. 50 years of, of game playing, trying to give to get. And really, even it's not so much even just the time, but it's the hierarchies, you know, primary relationships, good friends, best friends, soulmates, um, or throwing in how long we've been friends for this many years, we've been married for so many years, you know, Remember, remember the group Chicago? Anybody remember the group Chicago? Time, does anybody really know what time it is? Care, does anybody really care about time? You know, that's how the song starts. It's questioning time. The group, the group Chicago's got a whole song about we've all got time enough to cry. He's, they say in that song, we've all got time enough to cry. We, we have had enough time to cry. 
In fact, the ego's use of time is very sad, and Jesus says it's very tiring. He says the world is very tired at one point. Because it's the repetition of an error over and over and over, and that repetition gets very tiring and very boring. That's why people contemplate suicide. That's why people talk about, please, I, I, I need to escape time. There, there has to be a way out of time, I'm, uh, like Groundhog Day. How do I get out of the loop, or loopers, or what's the butterfly effect? I mean, there, there's, watch, if you watch our movie Watcher's Guide, there's lots of time loop movies, but the question is, how do I get out of the loop? And Jesus is saying, well, the answer to the how question of how do I escape, he, he addresses that in um, Lesson 23, I can escape from the world I see by giving up attack thoughts. Just give up attack thoughts. What does that mean? Give up judgments. You never had it in the first place, so just give up the attempt. And how do you do that, except, some of you have heard the recent online retreat, how do you relinquish judgment except by learn to let judgment through you rather than by you come through. That's what guidance is. That's why it's so important to be intuitive and to be guided. So really, I see this, what we're watching right here, Ascension Through Relationships, is through experiences, um, contra a lot of contrast experiences, what they've shared there at the dinner table, uh, they have agreed not to look at the expiry date for the relationship. They, let's say, let's take time out of it, because it doesn't matter whether it's a long one or a short one. There's too many expectations that are placed on relationships through time. And there's too many expectations that are placed on relationships through like shared qualities where there's an attempt to share fantasies. The ego always says, yeah, you can share some fantasies, those are the, going to be the glue that hold together your giving-to-get relationship. And then there's other parts of fantasy where, you know, you need not share everything. You know, you can share some things with your best boyfriend, your best girlfriend. You don't have to share everything with your partner. You know, you, the ego has got a very strong system in place to maintain the specialness. You know, it doesn't mind if you share, but just do it in a limited way, <laughs> you know. Selective sharing, that's what relationships are. There's a fear of, of giving up the private thoughts, so it's selective sharing. Oh, I, did you tell them so and so? Oh, I, I don't know, I didn't know, I didn't feel to tell them that. That could be dangerous. You know, I, it's selective sharing. And, and really, if you're going to go down those lines, why not let that sharing be guided by Jesus and the Holy Spirit? If you, if you want someone to do the selecting, why not let the one who knows, knows the best, your own best interest in every situation, do the selecting, not the ego. Because the ego is always going to batten down the hatches and keep an element of privacy and secrets in every relationship. It's always got to have that element of secrets, because that's the juice that keeps the guilt going, and then the relationships are held together through guilt and compromise. And what you want is you want to be totally authentic, totally sharing and, and exposing everything because there are no secrets that you would keep from, really, from the Holy Spirit. And therefore, you're just practicing with your interpersonal 
relationships. And, and what if, imagine what if you held nothing back, if you just let all the love in your heart and all your inspirations, everything you felt truly inspired to go for, and you just shared it with a nothing to lose attitude. Like, what have I got to lose? Really, you know? What have I got to lose? If I'm going to share everything from my heart, and I'm going to share, I want to share the holy instant, I want to share all the love in my heart, and there's actually nothing I can lose by sharing it, then that's where you start to really take it all the way. You start to approach the ascension aspect of the awakening, because there's nothing you would could keep private. In other words, your, what you're going to speak is not for you, the person alone, or not for you, the person that you're with, but it's for the whole universe. It's like the red letters of the Bible in the New Testament. When that's, you read those red letters of Jesus is speaking, he's speaking for the whole universe. He's speaking from a place that knows my will and God's will are one. He's speaking from the universal will. He's speaking for all the galaxies and all of the extraterrestrials and all of the beings on any planet, everywhere. We don't even have words for the numbers that big of all the seeming sentient beings in all the cosmos. He's speaking for the whole universe. He's not speaking for a person. Why? Because he's got nothing to lose. <laughs> He's, he's speaking from spirit, which has nothing to lose. But when we play small, when we are concerned about dropping the mask, then there's all these thoughts come in. Will I be taken care of? Will it be safe? Will I, will I survive? Will I survive if I become that transparent? You know, it's really just, it's, it's like you have to really just try it out, that's all I say. Like Fred Allen Wolf, I like that movie, uh, What the Bleep Do We Know? He says, with his hair flying in the wind, don't take my word for it, tr find out for yourself, he says at the end of the movie. I love that. Go Fred. Go Fred. You know, Fred is just saying, try it out. Try this transparency out. You've got nothing to lose. Whatever you are afraid of losing is just the ego in your mind, trying to use some thoughts to hold you back from this vastness, you know. I'm not talking about create your own reality, I'm, that's the authority problem. I'm talking about if you let the Spirit speak for you in every single seeming circumstance, then there's going to be a point where you're going to come to Ken's favorite point, the dreamer of the dream. I mean, there's, there's going to be nothing left but the dreamer. If you fully communicate, allow the Spirit to communicate through you, it, you're going to be lucid dreaming, and you're going to be laughing at the dream. And you're going to be saying, how, oh how, could I ever have believed in guilt? How, oh how, could I ever have thought of myself so small? How could I ever have been so afraid of future consequences when they really weren't there? They were just hypothetical puffs of nothing. And I, I, I believe they were real, and that's where my, my fears were. So, now at this stage, it's getting close here with our, with our couple in this one, 
to the one where we left off on the last one. Remember the last one, she comes to the factory and she hears the hood maker talking about, you've got the gift, you've got the gift, you, you never shared it with your, with your partner, you never shared it with the teeps, but you've got the gift. She's like, what, what gift are we talking about here? Like, they're getting close to, with all their playfulness and all their open, openness, now they're getting close to the same point where the ego is going to fire its missile into this happy little playful relationship like, haha, I'll sink this relationship like all the rest. The ego's trying to sink it, trying to break it off, and it will try to use its private thought again to find a private thought, a moment of doubt, a moment of fear that it can latch onto to try to blow it up into, into hell, <laughs> in, into failure, into there is no escape, into the belief that death is real and there is no escaping death. Because that's its central teaching, it's, it's, is that death is a reality. So let's watch how our, our main characters are going to handle the, uh, the missile, the private thought missile that is always, you know, it's always be prepared. Jesus said, always keep, keep your, lan your lanterns lit, keep, keep the oil lanterns lit, you know, like always be vigilant for that missile. Because no matter how happy you get, the ego is going to try to sabotage the happiness with a doubt thought. And that missile will come. And you've got to be like Neo in the Matrix. You've got, you've got to be able to do more than dodge bullets. You know, you've got to be able to put that hand up and go, no. You've got to stop the missile with your hand. Like Neo does when the bullet comes. He's not dodging the bullets in the end. He's just saying, no. In fact, there's a bunch of bullets, they just come, they can't even touch his hand. He's so aligned with spirit, you know, in that first movie. So let's see how our uh, couple handle, handle the missile of doubt. Ah, the belief in time is the fear of love. The belief in time is the fear of love. I just got a thunder roll here. The, the heavens are opening up and backing me up here. The, the belief in time is the temptation, you know, because temp we think of temptations in terms of forms, like being tempted by certain forms, but that's not the temptation. Jesus tells us, what is temptation but the wish to make illusions real? And what but linear time is the attempt to make illusions real. So it's always a temptation of time. The curiosity about time. Iso is transmitting the wisdom of the universe to me. He says, curiosity killed the cat. But Iso has no intention of dying. It's, it's the curiosity, it's the curiosity around time that, that always, it draws you. I mean, I've had so many experiences actually of, 
I had a friend, Dorothy, one time who she took a trip back to her country of of England and she I saw her after her trip and everything and she just had her rosy cheeks and she was laughing and laughing and laughing and she said I said what was so funny she said I had this funny thing going on all the while I was there in England I went back and my my watch that I've had for years it just quit working and so I said well, so you just went through your experience without being able to tell the time, and she said, yeah, it's, I see a clock every once in a while, but she said, my watch just quit working, and she just laughed and laughed, and then she said, I took it into the repair shop, and they said, okay, it'll be a couple days, and they worked on it and fixed it, and they gave it back, and she just burst into laughter. She said, it still didn't work. It was almost like the watch had stopped working to for her to see the joke of time. Jesus even calls it a joke. He says, it's a joke to think that time can come to circumvent eternity. He uses the joke word in relationship to time. Time is the joke. And so here in this situation, they're having all this love. In fact, you can see it in the, in the bathtub when they're laying in bed and the eye gazing. You can see that look in their eyes of like surrender like this vast love is starting to overtake them and they're starting to feel all this deep intimacy and this deep love and then that's when the ego gets most stirred up it's really stirred up by love you know because it doesn't believe there is such a thing and and so they're starting to just relax and totally let go of everything in favor of this deep love and then it's this temptation for him of to uh, to look at the time, look at the to look for an expiry date, you know, to to put a limit on that which cannot be limited. So this is really helping us all because it's starting to realize, wow, if I still stay invested in the things of time then I'm not using time to, the, to my advantage. I'm not really giving it to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit only uses time to collapse time, and to collapse time to show that it doesn't exist. That's, that's the only purpose that the Holy Spirit has for time. The Holy Spirit isn't into fantasies. The Holy Spirit isn't into building something in the world. Like the Tower of Babel story, trying to build a tower to reach to God. The Holy Spirit is not interested in Towers of Babel, in time achievements, because God didn't create time. So then you can start to realize, wow, you can start to see all your decisions more is, when I'm making a decision, is it is strengthening my awareness of the holy instant or of eternity, or is it perpetuating my belief in linear time? That's really the difference between the ego and the Holy Spirit. One collapses your perception of time and shows you time is simultaneous and the other reinforces time. You know, how long? Wasn't that a song? How long has this been going on? Yeah, that song is a sad song. 
but I ain't quite as dumb as I seem. You know, it's, it's a good song because it's like starting to, to really start to question time. How long has this been going on? How long have I been desiring time? And do I need to, do I need to keep desiring time? You know, I used to do that with all kinds of things whenever, like things like mortgages and, and credit cards and, you know, everybody would say, well, that's just the way the world works. Everything's on time. You know, it's built on time. You know, time-released capsules, timed mortgages and certificates of deposits, timed, timed everything. Oh, are you in a relationship? How long have you been together? How long has this been going on? You know, how long have, been, have I been asking those questions? How long? <laughs> you know, isn't there a better question than how long? <laughs> you know, why is time so important? And what does, what relationship does time have to the holy instant, to this moment? What's my value? You know, that's really the, the question. That's what takes you into the mystical experience, is it somehow you desire love more than time. You actually fall in love <laughs> instead of, of time. So, okay, here we go. We're getting ready for ascension time. <laughs> that's the best time. Yeah. Coach? Coach? Coach, what's happening? Coach is getting shot. One-sided observation has destabilized the expiry date. What? One-sided observation has destabilized the expiry date. Recalibrating. Well, because I looked at it on my own, it made it shorter. That is correct. Why? Everything happens for a reason. All right, well, undo it then, Nick. Make it go back. I cannot do that. Recalibrating. What, what if she looks at it? Once shortened, the expiry day cannot be extended. Why? Everything happens for a reason. Yeah, you can see what fear does to the perception of the relationship. When fear enters, then the relationship it goes out of awareness. The, the, the playfulness, the the light-heartedness, the love, the sense of freedom, the sense of expansion. It's like a, it's just like a temptation to view the world through the ego, is really what, what time is. And even when he gets his number, you know, it's like the one-sided uh, choice, one-sided uh, observation has destabilized the expiry date. It's, it, it does more than destabilize the expiry date, it destabilizes the whole perception. And, and then we're, it's like you're carrying a secret around or carrying a private thought and it, it darkens the whole perception of the world. Everything looks more dark and pessimistic and fearful. And so that's like the, the whole incentive to to trust the Spirit, to say, Spirit, time is in your hands. Time is in the hands of, of the miracle worker. 
Time is under the control of Jesus and under the control of the Holy Spirit. Time can be ar arranged um, by, the, by the Holy Spirit and Jesus for the purpose of lightness, so that you get happier and happier and lighter and lighter and lighter. And all that's really you're doing when you, when you give over this belief in time and space is you're really handing over everything that doesn't matter. Because in the end, time and space don't matter. They aren't important. They weren't created by God. They can't be important. So you give over everything that doesn't matter for the one inside that knows how to use time and space to collapse time and space to make you feel happy and joyful and, and carefree and, and have no worries and concerns. Like Jesus taught in the Bible 2,000 years ago, take, have, take no thought for tomorrow. Have no thought for the morrow, is what he taught. That's a real short little teaching from Jesus, but it's so valuable. Take no thought for the morrow. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's much closer. It's not going to be found in the morrow. It's, it's at hand. It's so, so close. And it's so available, and it's so accessible, and all you need to do is will it with your mind. Use, the, use your power. Go find that Gary Puckett and the Union Gap song and play it five times tomorrow. Baby, willpower, it's now or never. Give your love to me and I'll shower your heart with tenderness endlessly. You can feel the energy in that. You can feel the love. You can feel the joy. Of, of your own willpower, that you are not at the mercy of time and space. You have the willpower to, to re return in memory to the Kingdom of Heaven. So, now that this uh, missile of a private thought, you know, he, he was curious, he got the five years, he was like, thought that would satisfy him. He thought that he would be content knowing how long he had with Amy. Uh, that he had five years. And then, oh, it turned into a nightmare. That five years, what did it end up, how many? Yeah. 20 hours. Wow, the fear took out almost, almost all of the five years. It left him with a little morsel of less than one day out of five years because of the fear, because of his curiosity. So you may go to the psychic and you may think, how long will my current relationship last? Don't go to the psychic. Don't even ask it. Don't pay the $50 or the $100. Go buy, get, get the Apple digital download of, of Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. I bet, you know, it's, it's a song from maybe the, the 60s or, yeah, I think you should be able to get it cheap. It's, you know, it's not going to cost you as much as the psychic. And besides, the psychic thing, why would you go want to know when something's going to expire? You know, that's like a death wish. Expire is death. Why would you pay money to know an expiry date? Why would you care about such things? When, when, why would you go for the crumbs again? When the banquet and the feast of life, eternal life is offered and given, why would you go for the crumbs of time and space? Now what's helpful is now we're going to watch how they handle it. 
how are they going to pull out of it? You know, how do they handle this temptation of a private thought? It's the same question that was raised at the end of the first movie. You know, it was basically left open. It was left open. That's where the first movie ends. The first session, the segment, it ends. Here we go. Now we're going to see what Jesus has got for us in number two. How do they handle the private thought? You know, how do they do it? Can you remember where you were before you came here? You can't, can you? No. Me neither. Why can't I think of that? It's a test. Nine hundred ninety-eight rebellions logged, one thousand complete. Yeah. Those are the simulations. I don't know if you remember the Matrix when he finally goes to meet the architect. I think that's in the second Matrix. When all the, they have all the uh, television sets there of Neo acting out in all of his rage. Those are the anomalies. Everything that seems to be a life on earth is like a, a rebellion. Because there is no life on earth. It's a, it's a rebellion against God's will. It's a rebellion against knowing our true will as one with God. And, and then you have to, it's a system that you have to uh, rebel against the ego. <laughs> you have to rebel against the compromises and the, the doubts and the fears. You know, see all the agents kind of coming at the end, you know, with the tasers. You know, that he'd been seeing a few of the agents and everything and comes right out with a taser like, like, I will tase you. And she goes right up and just poof. <laughs> There's that same hand like Neo has in the Matrix. Except this time it's not stopping bullets, it's, it's saying, no, I don't, I don't believe in tasers. <laughs> I don't believe in opposition. I don't believe there's anything that can hold me back in this world. I don't believe that I am a prisoner of images. I don't believe that I am doomed and destined to time. It's like a no, that hand going up to the taser. So that's, that is, uh, wow, spectacular. It's like ending the rebellion against God by rebelling against the ego. <laughs> Turning the tables and flipping the tables on, on the ego. Some of you may remember, there's a part in the Course, you know, where Jesus talks about the, the obstacles to peace. And the last obstacle is the fear of God, the fear of God's love. In which he, Jesus says, you swore in blood that you would never lift that cornerstone. You made a bargain with the devil and you swore in blood that you would never lift that stone to see what's underneath it. And the ego tells you, don't. If you lift that stone, God will strike you dead for, for doing that. And, and the Holy Spirit is saying, no, lift the stone. There's only light underneath that last stone. There's not darkness, there's no fear, there's the only light. So that's what really that last scene was about, you know, where they they basically refused to believe in the system anymore of the perfect match. And by refusing 
to compromise and think that love could be contained in an interpersonal relationship, which is the compromise, they faced it. They faced that thought, that tempting thought of the, the ego and, and then were, they climbed. But as soon as they started climbing over the wall, the matrix started to uh, collapse. All the lights went out in the matrix first and then the you know, it was just like a bunch of like, um, almost like shale or some kind of a, the same kind of black energy thing and it was in Lucy, you remember when it, that, that same black thing was there, except this was like the whole matrix going out and collapsing into just shiny black slivers as they climbed and then they were literally taken up um, beyond the form. And then you could see the, the anomalies of all the different times. Like she said, we've played this out thousands of times only to come to this point of, of turning away from the ego and turning back to the truth, to the light of God. And then all of the, the construct of the matrix just, just collapsed. Okay, we've done really good. I'm ready to open it up and Eric is standing by. Operators are standing by. <laughs> I would love to hear what you saw in this movie, what you experienced in the movie. These were like two, two uh, sessions, but they go hand in hand. The first one was um, about am I going to buy into the private thoughts? And the second one was transcending the private thoughts, you know, kind of by, by rebelling against the system that would tell you you were limited uh, to uh, something of this world. Yeah. Okay, I'll go to uh, Frank there. Go ahead, Frank. You can unmute yourself. Hi there. Can you see me? Hi, David. <laughs> hi, hi, Frank. I the main character Frank. Huh? Frank, the last one, that was the last anomaly. <laughs> right, I know. And Frank, you're the one who found this movie for me, or this uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, you were the one. Now it's full circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I have a question for you. Um, uh, you know, it, it's it's something you said before. You know, I want when I want something out of this, and as you uh, um, as you know, I have this pain, and um, I want this pain to be gone, and I'm. You know, one of the reasons I also I'm practicing is because I'm always hoping to find a healing. You know, even when she, you know, the taser thing, she goes like that. And, you know, the causes and conditions, I'm really working on, you know, getting healing my mind. So with the hopes that my mind will project a healing. So I'm always expecting that healing that keeps me out of the moment. 
the thought of accepting this, that this is going to be there for the rest of my life, which it feels like it could be, uh, is almost impossible for me to even consider accepting that. And, you know, I see a lot of symbols that tell me, ah, oh, this could heal, you know, this could heal, but it's just not healing. It's getting worse, it seems. And, um, you know, I'm seeing thoughts that keep it in place, like attachments to victimhood, um, wanting to be right about being a victim and, and fucked, you know, and all this. And you see I'm right. I'm constantly trying to, and not constantly, but often trying to convince Jeffrey that I'm fucked, you know, and he won't have it. But, and then I get angry at him because he won't have it, you know, and I don't know what I, you know, I just, it's this, I, I, I thought it's that, but I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm tapping on it. I'm journaling on it. I'm praying on it. I'm, you know, trying to anyway. Uh, and I, I don't know. Uh, is it the, I remember once I saw something, there was a, a, a clip with you and this woman, I never saw her again. Uh, you're both on a stage and she had, I think she had um, Epstein's bar. Do, do, do you know? Uh, and then she said, until she accepted it, it didn't go away. Do you remember that? Or, um, no, I, I'm always saying to myself, I, there's some, I'm, I'm going through spiritual dimension now where I'm forgetting. I have no idea what you're talking about, but uh, <laughs> I, my, the, the dementia is getting really strong now. So you know, like I, I, I came and watched a clip on on Facebook the other day, and I just turned over to Svava and I said, "I have no idea." I've had so many collaborations now that I, I looked at yeah. and said, "I have no idea when that happened," or I have no recollection, but. But I do feel like that's part of the answer, you know, like, you know, how it says in Lesson 189, forget this world, forget this course, and come with open arms unto your God. You know, that's really, he's giving it away there in that paragraph in 189. And, and I think what is great about these, these movies is because they always are reminding us, like, what I see these movies and these sessions doing is they're just such strong reminders, like, like the spirits saying, you just have no clue. Like I'm thinking of that movie Doctor Strange, you know, uh, wow, that Doctor Strange movie, you know, he gets in there that Tilda Swindon, the, the character that touches him in the third eye and does, I mean, it's just a massive dismantling. You know, I, I, he has no clue what he's getting into. Neo in The Matrix, uh, you know, he's a hacker and just, he's living in his little apartment, you know, trying to just uh, make the best of it and continue with his hacking ways. And then Troy comes and knocks at the door and says, you need, I think you need to get unplugged. And, you know, then, wow, uh, he, he starts to go. He goes, follows the white rabbit. And then, you know, I think it still comes back to that adventure because it sounds like when you're talking, the ego is coming in with these hypotheticals of the future. It's taking an experience you're having of the pain 
And then its, its favorite thing is it projects out a future of that, which is unbearable. It's absolutely unbearable to, to take something like a pain perception, a pain interpretation, and project that into like, then it's like, what's the point? Like, what, oh my God, like, it's, it's, a, it's a dark kind of a trick. It's a dark trick. But, you know, the thing I've always felt with you is that when I look at you and I look at your face, I see a child. I see a, a child of wonder, a child that's on an adventure. I see that in your eyes. I see that, you know, even though the, Morpheus has said the world was, is, was pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth, that all you've gone through with the 12 steps, all you've gone through with the Course or through our connection is, is it still that child is in there and that child is saying, I know there's more. I know there's more. I know there's more. There has to be more than, than this that I perceive myself. And I did have a woman that wrote to me several days ago and she said, she wrote me a brief email. She said, you don't remember me. You don't remember me, but six years ago I wrote to you, and I, that's right, I, when she said, I wrote to you six years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. And, and I looked, as I'm reading the email, I'm like, yep, I don't remember that, I don't remember that either. But she said, I was diagnosed with cancer, and I wrote to you, and, and I asked you, please could we, is, what can I do? How, how am I to face this? Because as soon as she was diagnosed with cancer, then they were saying, you know, they, these are your, your options, and one of them, I think one of them was chemo, was going to the hospital and starting to undergo chemo treatments, and she just thought, oh no, no, no chemo, no, 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 this is not it. And then she wrote, in retrospect, now I'm writing to you six years later, I'm cancer free, um, six years later, and she said, here's what I learned. Uh, she was writing the the rest of the story to me in an email. She said, I learned that even my resistance to the chemo treatment was, was affirming that I, I believed in the reality of the cancer and I believed in the reality of the chemo treatment and I believed in the reality of what was coming to me uh, was, was um, real. And so she said, the way she went at it was, she started to go into her mind and pray and going, look at that, I'm resistant to the chemo. I'm resistant to the chemo treatment. And she said, she started to go in and started to see in her own mind that that resistance was her resistance to God, that was her resistance to love, the resistance to the chemo. Forget the cancer, she said. It was like my resistance to the treatment that was offered me was showing me my own resistance to healing, to, to God, to love. And whatever it was, that moment turned everything in her mind. So she's writing me this email now, which I don't even remember the first contact, saying, oh by the way, uh, I've been cancer free for, for some years now and this is just to let you know, this is what I did. Um, this, is, this is how I went at it. 
And I think that's what the, this movie is about. You know, the whole thing is based on the context of the system. You know, the whole thing is based on the system thing. And they both are going along, you know, she's questioning it, you know. She's, she was questioning, what if, it's, what if the system is rigged? And remember that time under the gazebo out there where she's like playfully saying, you know, what if, it's, what if there is no system? What if the system's not right? And he's like, well, it's right, 99.8%. You know, she says, how do we know? How do we know the system's right, 99.8%? You see, she just, whoom, she just started going right at the whole thing. The very assumption that they were operating on, and he's like saying, but what if it's, it knows everything about you? And, you know, he was trying to give every benefit to the possibility that the system was going to lead them into happiness. And she was like, no, no. And then she says, yeah, yeah. She starts going like, what? and what if it's a, a simulation? You're saying we're in a simulation. And he's like, yeah, what if it is a simulation? And she goes, boom! She grabs his chest. He goes, ow! And she goes, well, that settles that. Uh, and he's like, well, what if I was programmed? But she's already gone. You see, she's already starting to question the system. She's questioning the whole thing when she leaves that gazebo. And he's still rubbing his, his chest where she grabbed him. Like, what? Like, when he went, ow, she well, that settles that. Like, you know, it, for her, in her mind, she was on the way there, and she still had to face the temptation to escalate her. You know, when he said, you know, we only have a little time left. What, what do you mean? She said, what is it? What's going on? You know, she called him on the private thoughts. She, you know, not that he spilled the beans, but she called him at the bottom of that escalator. She was already like, what's up? Like, what, what's up here? Let's get, let's get honest. Let's get real here. And then she had, she did buy into the temptation of, you know, you ruined it. You messed it up for us. You had to look. We promised. We shook hands. You know, the, the guilt, the guilt urge got a hold of her there. The doubt thought grabbed her for a moment. And then she went off and went through some more watching of relationships and, and everything. And then, but that's what I think you're coming to. You're just, all you're doing now is, you know that you don't want the pain. But you can never form the prayer just in terms of the negative. You know, it's like telling Jesus, Jesus, I don't want the pain. He said, can you reformulate that prayer? <laughs> Nothing can be prayed for from the negative, what you don't want. What Jesus is interested in is, what is your positive prayer? What do you want? You know, that's what Jesus is, is saying. Reformulate that prayer. Give it to me in, a, in, a, in what you do want. And seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. You know, ask and you shall receive. That's all Jesus is. He does say that in the Course. He says, you never can understand anything from the negative. You, you can only understand it from really getting in touch with what you really do want. We'll get you a drink of water here. It, that's a... <laughs> I, <laughs> you, blew, <laughs> you blew me away. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, okay, but can you give me an example of... Um, you know, yes, of course, I say I don't want the pain, but <clears throat> so what do I want as far as the pain? 
uh, well, I said want a healing, you know, or <laughs> that's what I'd like. But I have asked for that. And yeah. the healing in the mind also. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Because it gets it away from of what you don't want or what you want to avoid. But it's like turning, you know, that's why in recent weeks where we've got to that point where, I remember, we was it, was it a, a, some weeks ago where we were watching that, that movie, I Can Only Imagine, wasn't it called something like that? I Can Only Imagine, and you were like, that was it, when the father, you know, said, you know, what the father said, that was the line. You see how, you, out of the whole movie, you zoomed in to, to what the father said, and that's how it goes. You know, you, you can pull out a line from a movie, you can, you can hear something. The one line in the whole movie that resonated the most was was what the father had because it was a shift of mind. You know, you you recognize the miracle in what that father said, and and you latched onto it. You know, out of the whole movie, you latched onto that, and I think that's what happened with this woman who wrote to me. You know, she started off with thinking, "How am I going to?" Uh, she probably started off with, "How am I going to get rid of the cancer?" Uh, like you're saying, how can I get rid of the pain? You know, she started off with something like that. But then, that wasn't her message to me. She said, I have to see that I was, I was resistant to the treatment that was even being offered to me. And then I had to, to look at, the, like, what is that about? Like Jesus is saying, you know, you're, you're not really afraid of the means. Like, he's, he's, offering us the means for healing. And he says, you're not really afraid of the means. You're afraid of the end. You're afraid of where the means are going, where it's going to lead. And he's, he's giving us a clue there that he's saying, I'm offering you the means for healing. I'm offering you the miracle. I'm offering you the holy instant. But you're not so afraid of the means, you're not afraid of the miracle, you are afraid of where the miracle is going to lead. And that's the ego's fear of annihilation. It's the fear of the disappearance of the universe, it's the fear of losing the familiar. It's, a, it's, a, it's like the mind starts, get it, the mind when it sleeps, it starts to get accustomed to dreaming. You know, it gets accustomed to it. It's a, there was an old Jack Jones song, I've grown accustomed to her face. It, it all, something makes the day begin. The whole song's about familiarity, you know, and, and that's the part that makes the end scary, is there's a, it's, it's a loss. It's, it's the same thing of loss that we've experienced in, like, like when your, your son committed suicide. That was a, a very difficult time in your life. That was one of the most difficult, probably, times in your life. But if you took that in, it was like this feeling of sadness and loss that was underneath it. That's what the, that's what the torment was about. And so that, I think, is ultimately, as we get more and more honest with ourselves, we, we have to start to, to really honestly start to look at, like, if I'm afraid of love, then there must be something that I'm afraid to lose, if I'm afraid of love. Because that's the way I work with Jesus. Jesus told me one day, years ago, he said, 
I, I said, I read in the Course that I'm afraid of love. I don't get it. I don't get that at all. I said, I'm, I'm a lover. I love to love. I love God and all this. And Jesus was like, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, no. No, you're, you're afraid of, of God. And I said, no, I, I believe in God and I love God and I, I'm a God lover. I'm a, I, I talk about God. I love God. No. He said, no, you're afraid of love. And, and I said, I don't get it. I, give me, I, I don't get it. And then he said, then I finally said, can you show me, if I'm afraid of love, then I'm defending against love. He said, yeah, that's it. You're defending against love. And I said, I don't get that. But what am I, if I'm defending against love, what am I defending for? What am I trying to protect that I'm afraid love will take away from me? And he's like, now we're getting somewhere. He said, oh yeah, there's a lot of things that you are protecting. And I said, like? And he said, like your self-concept. I'm like, okay, what's that? Yeah, well let's take a look at that. You know, I'm happy to show you Let's look at the concept that you believe you are, because the very belief that you believe you are that thing is what's making you afraid of love. You don't understand it intellectually at all, but you can at least grasp that you're, you're holding on to something and you're holding on with everything you've got to try to protect something. And he said, you'll notice that as you go through time and space, you have all these experiences start rinsing away this thing that you're protecting. Even tonight, after we finished the first session, it was thunder, lightning, I saw a flash, and then thunder, thunder, and then as soon as we started ascension through relationship, it started pouring down rain here. It was like, like we were in the rinse cycle here in Mexico. As soon as we started that second session, it's like very symbolic, like, yeah, now here, now let's Let's get the rinse going, you know, the rinse cycle. The, the dishes are clean, now let's get the rinse cycle going. And that's what we're going through, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. So, that, to me, that's, that's what you just pay attention every, every day. The pain is, is chosen by the mind, and it's a way of saying, listen, hold off there on that love, this love stuff. <laughs> hold, hold off there. Don't you see I'm in pain? Um, you know, that's kind of what the mind's doing. Like, poor me. I'm in pain, and I'm not so ready for, it's a way of saying, I'm a, hold off there on the love. Uh, just, just keep that at bay a little bit. And yet, we can't. Uh, in a, it's inevitable. We, we keep being sent relationships. We keep being sent circumstances that are constantly inviting us, inviting us to choose, choose again. You know, it's, we're, we're even given a function that is a, a mighty function that is to shine our light for seemingly a specific period of time, even though it's undoing time. And that function is, is essential. It's almost like Jesus is saying, like here, I want you to focus on your function and, and the more you focus on the function, the less you'll focus your mind's attention on the pain. But the ego's like, oh no, 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 focus on the pain. And forget about whatever this other thing is. You know, it's, it, it, it doesn't want us 
to focus. So you're, you're on the adventure, you know, that, that was part of, even when you were over there in Switzerland with Kirsten and, and all the healing that went there with Helene and Fabian and Kirsten, and then your trip to visit your daughter on the west coast and, and your daughter's partner and the Trump supporter and they are all, you know, and then you're there with Jeffrey and Suzanne now and the cat and, you know, and Jesus is like, going great, Frank, it's going great, like it's all in perfect divine order, like you're just being sent one thing after the next after the next with a, with a, a yeah, an activation point in your mind, brother, choose again. That's what the Spirit keeps going. Choose again, choose again. And then you notice with these different scenarios that you're given all these opportunities, you know, to, to let go. To, to let go in, in, a, in an even deeper way, to trust in an even deeper way. But there's nothing, you've not made one wrong step ever. You've not, you've not taken one wrong step. It's just that it's all, the Spirit's just working you in your mind, you know. It's like it's trying, it's doing everything it can to convince you to focus on the function. It's like it's saying, here it is, here it is, here it is. Remember, remember the joy of this, remember your function, remember that. It's like a reminder, it's, a, it's part of a convincing. And it's inevitable. You can't, you can't mess it up. You can't mess it up. You've never taken a wrong step and you, there, there will come a point where that will dawn like it was always this opportunity, this option was always there. Just like Neo when he went there to the architect and, and, and they going back and forth with all these uh, TVs and, and you know, he's screaming and shouting and all the different TVs, all the anomalies of time and space, like in the one we just watched where they had all the couples, you know, all numbered couples. It's the same thing and then finally it comes down to this point of, of like, of let go, of let go with, uh, with all of it. You've never made a mistake though, in form. Okay, I'm going to go to Robert next in Camus. Go ahead, Robert. Uh, I, can I uh, see David, please? Hi. Hi there. <laughs> I always get to wave my hands and talk here. Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, he's movies. Boy, two of them back to back. <laughs> you know, every time... Every time I see these movies, every time I see a retreat, I feel like I won the lottery, you know, just, I mean, how many people get a chance to be here just, you know, with the community and with you and going through these, it's just such a wonderful opportunity. I mean, I had all these, <laughs> I had all these questions from the first movie and then I saw the second movie and it's just like, you know, it just disappeared. I mean, the time the time just just brought it into all of them. You know, one of the things um, recently I've been thinking a lot about 
the collapse of the world and the end of society and stuff like that. It's been on my mind for years and years and years, but just the way things are going, you know, and I was, uh, I was going to try and probe you a little bit, see if I can get a prediction or something out of you. But um, then, you know, the second movie came along. So I was thinking that for the first movie, then the second movie came along and I was like, no, no, I'm not going to press that button. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. You know, think not for the morrow, the, the kingdoms now. I get it, I get it, I get it. Um, well, what, what, okay, I, I guess I have two, two questions, if you'll indulge me. Um, and uh, you, you mentioned in the first movie, um, if, if I can just forgive one person, then I'm fully awake, I'm enlightened, you know, everything. And, you know, I was thinking about that. Can I choose somebody easy? Um, you know, when, 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 when I think about you, I mean, I've got nothing but, I've got zero grievances against you. I mean, I've got nothing but love and respect and gratitude and admiration and all these warm, fuzzy, wonderful feelings to you. And I was thinking, no, if, if, if I could just forgive David 100%, do I just, like, wake up? <laughs> That's good though. That's uh, that's good. I think that because because the form of of the forgiveness has to some, be something you can relate to. You you have it's like it's you're building up your desire and your momentum in your mind to do that complete forgiveness. You're you're getting all revved up toward the atonement, you know, towards that. And and that's pretty much the way that it works. It's no accident that that you perceiving me or or the community as as like somehow very helpful for your mind, you can feel it inside. There's a gratitude with that. That's not by accident. It's more like the spirit is just using the form and saying, "We know there's a way to reach Robert, like really reach Robert." There's there's going to be a form that will seem to come that that clicks the whole thing and that you totally can, uh, can accept it, 100% with no reservation, and you're just being taken more and more and more closer to that, that form. Because forgiveness has to take the, a form in this world, because uh, heaven is not, is not a form, but it has to, the choice for heaven has to take a form in this world, and it's, it has to be something you can accept. So, yeah, maybe that's that's part of it, in, in the sense that, that you may say you have no grievance with me, with me, and then there has to come a realization that, that whatever our dialogue seems to be, you know, is just like, is like you talking to yourself. Like, uh, I think it's like around Lesson 183 or 184, where it says you speak to people, you speak to your brother who's not there. And then the one who is not there answers you, like we're doing now. And all of a sudden that starts to get funnier and funnier and funnier, like... I mean, that's what happened to me. I, I remember I would have situations where I'd be traveling and I have my cell phone with me and somebody, a friend of mine called me and they were actually going, having suicidal thoughts. And they were calling me because they're having suicidal thoughts and I'm driving through the mountains of Pennsylvania, and I would be talking, 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 and then the phone would go out. 
on a suicidal call. And I would just go, there it is again, I'm talking to myself. You know, it would just start to dawn on me, like the phone call, the, the background, everything was just like, and then you more start to feel that. That's where I think this is going. Because it's like, that's the mechanism of teach what you would learn. You're, you're, even what you've just shared here is so beautiful. You were saying you had a whole bunch of questions at the end of the first one, and then they evaporated. That's amazing. That's a miracle. You're getting as much spiritual dementia as I'm having. You're, you're, you, got, you have a whole, whole fleet of questions and then they all disappear in the second, the second one. That's a miracle. Because it's not the questioning mind that wakes up, you know. It's the, it's the mind that loses its questions, actually. Or sees that it never, it, oh, it didn't really have a question. Then that's getting closer and closer to that. And, and as far as that one question where you thought you might ask it, you know, um, you know about, about the world and society and the world collapsing and everything, you know. It was funny because the other day I, I looked on the internet and it said, um, I love it when they have the headlines, so-and-so scientists predicted 2020. You know, and I'm like, what? Scientists predicted? It was like somebody, the scientist in 2010, 10 years ago, he started to fill in all the data from like American history. Like uh, after the Civil War, there was a time of huge unrest, like around 1870. And then when Martin Luther King was assassinated, it, it was at 1968, you know, he looked at all the factors when things start to really shake like that and then he plugged them all into a computer and the computer said it's coming again in 2020. Almost predictable and then the people around him went, what the hell are you talking about? You know, as usual, and he's, he said, well, I, I, it's just science, you know. He said, I just plugged in the numbers, plugged in all the factors and everything. So, but that starts to be more like, like it's all part of a prearranged plan and it's just playing out seemingly over these decades and these centuries. I saw Teal Swan did a similar thing where she went back and picked out the, the energies and the frequencies throughout, throughout. She went back more than 1870 and she was kind of showing it more in a predictive model. Didn't we see a movie, The Great Hack? You were there when I showed the great hack at the monastery. You know, the Cambridge analytics and the predictive uh, analytics and all the different things. They were starting to get into that on God Friended Me, wasn't it? Predictive, predictive, the God account and predictive analytics and all this. It's all very scientific, but it's all there just as a symbol to your mind of just saying, you can't really change what is written. Um, but you can change the way you look at it. Like even in uh, Time Traveler's Wife, he kept going back and the father was saying, can't you save your mother and save my wife? And he said, I, no, I keep seeing it, but I can't, I can't change it. Which I thought was another beautiful symbol there from the movie. So it's beautiful. You're just you're, you're just in the phase of the evaporating questions. <laughs>
<laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh, thank you, Robert. <laughs> hearts. <laughs> hearts. Two hearts that beat as one. Yeah. It's God is singing to us. And we're singing back to God. Peter Cetera, I am the one who exists for your honor. I am the being you've been thinking of. Our will is forever, knowing together that we are it all in the glory of love. Slight variation of Peter Cetera, but but you know, it's 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 gratitude for for being a creation of God, invulnerable, one with God forever. Thank that the gratitude of that creation is is so strong that Jesus said, if you get a, a glimpse of it, you're going to start to weep, you're going to start to cry, if you start to feel all that love that's in that will, God's will. You just you'll just burst into tears. It won't. You you will not be able to contain. The feeling. It, it is not containable. So, how are we doing, Eric? We surely have some more hands. We have uh, another question from Esther here. Go ahead, Esther. David, I've been in relationship with Alan for um, 33 years, and um, I used to have money and I would give him as much as money as I could for him to trade in the market because I believed that he was going to search for it anywhere he could and if I could provide it for him in a safe way other than maybe getting involved with the wrong people that he would practice and practice until he could get somewhere with it. Um, he's been, he made like several, like $100,000 one time about 20 years ago, and then it's been a drought ever since, and the point is, about the relationship, um, there's this expectation that one day he'll be able to help me with his skill, even though he doesn't seem to think he had, you know, hasn't had evidence of it since that one time. Um, but he's starting to hear guidance like, like he's never heard it before and he's starting to trust it. And before the course, he would throw it away and say that it doesn't work. And, but all of a sudden he's just breaking through and it's amazing. But my relationship with him is we're working on a holy relationship really. And he helps me through the suicidal thoughts and, and when I'm not in my function and helps me get into the laughter quite quickly. And I just feel like I'm holding back. I have this private thought that, and I can't seem to let it go, that one day he will be able to do the market so well that I won't ever have to worry about money. Um, not that I do at all, but for, for real, for real, the source will be unlimited. Um, oh, God, it feels good to say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just have this unbelievable faith and trust that, that he has this ability and I don't know, I just want to let it all go. 
I just yeah. want to let it all go. Yeah, you've ever since you've written to me and and I've felt that that you and Alan have this very strong relationship for God. Like he's like he's like a mighty companion. Like he's in your dream, he's like this great dream character that's been brought in to be a mighty companion to support you, to nurture you, to remind you. He's great for reminding you Many times when you have a doubt thought or you you feel a wobble, there's Alan to remind you and remind you. And the thing about it is, it's still, you're great, you're identifying like this little hope inside, like, okay, hopefully one day he's going to, it's like that movie Let It Ride with Richard Dreyfuss, you know, he's going to, he's going to, he's going to get, get the, the, some of the money coming in from these bets and so on and so forth, but it's still, it's still like a little bit of looking to your brother for, uh, in the hope of a, some kind of sustenance or something. And so underneath that is you still want something from Alan, you know, it's like there's a wish down there, like I hope you hit it with the money I'm giving you, I hope you hit it and we, you, it brings a return. But I do remember from Jesus telling me, emphasizing with me, he, he said, when you want anything from a brother, you will see him as a brother no longer. And I was like, whoa. Because when you start to apply that in relationships, and you start to say, yeah, I don't want anything from my brother. I want to learn to give like God gives. God's not like a reciprocal God. Like, oh, I'll create you with free will. I'll give you eternity now. Here's my list of what you owe me. You know, you have to you have to pay me back for this gift of eternity. No, it's like no, it's a free gift. No strings attached. That's right, no strings attached. Eternity. You give me power. Yeah, you got the power. You got the love. Yeah, oneness. Yeah. Oh yeah, got that. Infinity. Yeah. Take it all. Take it all. Anything that I've got is yours. I give you everything. What do you want in return? Nothing. Just, just you accepting your perfection. You say yes, yeah, okay, all right, you're eternal. That's it. Let's have a fun eternity. You know, that's that's God. And and then so different from relationships in this world. It's always like you know, what what are you going to offer me? What are you going to provide for me? You know, what's in it for me? You know, it's human relationships are just so reciprocal. There's so much attachment. But I think that's the thing. You know, I remember I watched, I, I loved that uh, Robert Redford movie called Horse Whisperer with Scarlett, young Scarlett Johansson, you know. And then he's there and the horse has gone through trauma and young Scarlett Johansson character, she's gone through a trauma. They bring in Robert Redford, the Horse Whisperer, and, and then Scarlett, Johansson's mother, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, plays it in, in the movie. She comes in there, and she comes all the way out there to the ranch where he is, and then she starts to fall in love with the Robert Redford character. And I'm like, here we go, another... She, because there's all this healing happening. You know, he's so gentle, and he's so patient, and he's so wise. And then her husband... Uh, back on the East Coast is like, how's it going? And he comes out too, and then it looks like, uh-oh, we got, what do we got? Is it a turning into a triangle movie? You know, we got Kristen Scott Thomas falling in with Robert Redford, falling in love with Robert, and then, uh-oh, there's, 
there's this, there's the husband. You know, it's like, what, what about the husband? And then she starts to fall more and more in love and more and more. And you can see that the, the love is growing stronger and stronger. And then at the very last scene of the movie, she takes off. Her fear of love kicks in. She takes off. She just takes off. She goes driving as fast as she can away from Robert Redford. And then my favorite part of the movie is the look on his face when she drives away. That was the whole movie for me. I was just like, I had tears. Because I was like, wow! What a strength, you know? It's the movie where the, the guy is supposed to get the girl in all the formula. <laughs> you know, that's the formula. The guy ends up with the girl. But the, in this case, the girl, she's driving away. She's, she's leaving. He's not chasing her. He's not on the cell phone. Oh, baby, baby, I can't live if living is without you. I can't give, you know. Oh, no, 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 no. Not Robert. He's in, his, he's in the glory of God because he is in total acceptance. If she's making that decision, then she's making that decision. And his happiness is not dependent on whether she's with him or not. And his love is not dependent on whether she's with him or not. The look on his face, that rancher's face, you know, that was the whole movie for me. How do you, how do you react when one that you love leaves? And that's really what, remember that, we were talking about that recently, where, you know, how when your father died, it was, it was hard. You know, emotionally, you, you even were saying, you cried. You said there was so much, like, mental things that started in, after, at that point. It was really intense for you, but you were, like, exposing that and, and healing from that. And, and I think with your mother, too, what you shared today, that's been very healing. So that's why, you know, it, it can only be a moment sometimes, but that was a powerful symbol at the end of Horse Whisperer. Because, to me, that was the end of codependency, you know. It wasn't, I love you and I need to be with you. I, I love you and it's a happy ending if the guy and the girl are together. When she drove off, I thought, oh, that's what the Holy Spirit's teaching me right now. It's not circumstance dependent. It's not body dependent. Minds are joined, bodies do not. There it is again, you know, it's the same lesson that we have, that's the only lesson we have to accept, so. So thank you. You've got another question, yes. So what happens for me, because I'm getting so much benefit from being with him uh, emotionally and um, mentally, the stability comes when I speak with him. The thought is, well, what if I don't have him anymore? What if he dies before I do, or something like that? So that's what you're saying, is it's not circumstance dependent? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think all the Spirit's doing is it's just trying to bring different aspects of the relationship up for you to take a good look at. I think one time you emailed me, you, you were like saying, yeah, I think I might like to be sexually active with Alan. <laughs> you know, good. You expose that one, you know, and, and so you see that's how, 
how it goes in these relationships, you know. There you are, exposing to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think I'd like to be sexually active. But I mean, yeah, a pretty... Thank you, Holy Spirit. It's a nice relationship. Might be a little bit better if, you know, you know, this is how it works. And now it's down to, well, thank you, thank you. But, you know, if he dies, <laughs> you see how... If he, it's great. Don't get me wrong. It's all great. But if he dies before I do, you know, or would be nice if he took the money and he, he, he won a bet or something, you know, that would be nice, you know. It's like, that's what we do. We, we kind of have these things that we, we would hope for, we would expect for, maybe we even wish for with the relationship, and then the pathway is more of just coming back to the moment, coming back to that this present moment offers me everything. You know, I, I open to experience that I have everything this moment. It's what all the mystics and sages teach, it's what Eckhart teaches, it's what everyone's really teaching. Maybe that 10,000 year old Ramtha guy, I don't know. I, you have to tell me about that sometime. I don't, I don't know. I kind of just got bits and pieces, but still all the, all the sages teach the same thing. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Love seeing your smiley face here. We love it. Uh, thank you. Okay, we've got a hand up from Stephen. Go ahead, Stephen. All righty then. Yay. Um, I'll, I'll be brief because it's getting late, but this is good stuff. And one of the things that I really uh, teed in on was in the first movie there was the door between them. That was like a steel vault door with a little peephole, little peephole. And boy, there was no way she was going to open that door until he really opened up and allowed her to scan him and go in there deep. And I thought, God, dang, that's what that feels like, of course, when, you, when I feel like I'm approaching authenticity and it gets spooky and I want to preserve specialness and, and hide behind all the masks and the roles and, and, and tether it out a little bit. But it's like, no, you got to go in there all the way. And then once I do, once I reveal, once I bring, bring, let it flow through me and just kind of expose the private thoughts, um, click that door opens and it's like, well, what was the problem ever? ever? And then when they're in that, the second movie, The Wall, and, and I, I teed on on when he, and he said that, I think she said, or one of them said, man, that's, that's massive. That's a massive wall. And of course, it's just sitting there lurking in the background and thought, well, yeah, that's exactly how it feels. And I thought, well, if you have a massive wall, then all you need to do <laughs> so yeah, if there's a massive wall there, then maybe you just got to have that right-minded thought. And David, a lot of stuff, there's so much, I took note after note after note, it was just, this is good, this is good, all this stuff was popping through, and I noticed that you were using some terms and metaphors um, that I had just used earlier today on a phone call with a friend who was, who was dealing with um, just special relationship as it relates to stuff and things and kind of a hoarding uh, idea, and, and, I, and, and I was just, I felt inspired to share with her that, well, things are just thoughts, which everything is appearing out there, as we, as we know, but we don't remember, it's just thoughts, it's on display. So I said, what if you, you took everything and just really turned it into a little sugar cube, because it's a substitute. It's a substitute for God's love, and we're invested in these substitutes, so just 
pretend that you have a garage full of those boxes of sugar cubes that we used to make stuff out of and just turn everything into a, a box, boxes. I have a garage full of sugar cubes because these are my substitutes. And I said, the substitutes come in from the projection of the splinter in your mind and talk about Morpheus and, and the projection and just, and then here you are tonight again in my dream with, with these metaphors that I need to hear and see in these movies pulled together in the way that they, they are to help me come into that climbing that wall together. And I love that scene, uh, the two by two, it made me think of the arc and, and we got to do it two by two. We got to reconcile those, those opposites. We got to move beyond the program, get beyond the duality, but we got to do it together. We can't do it alone. And who we're doing it with is the holiness. And so, yeah, team up, climb the wall. And, and then the reconciliation of those opposites, then it just starts to disappear uh, but I thought, ah, oh, that's the arc. That's that's getting into the arc two by two to cross over, uh, to get to to get to that state of mind, to get that click over into that quantum perspective. And how man specialness is just wants to be nasty. And yes, it's like, all right, all right, let's let's see it, bring it up. Let's let's see my attachments to the specialness. Let me try to negotiate and make it work and set it up and kind of have my way. And it's like, no. It, it, it works perfectly. Special relationships work beautifully for the purpose that they're de designed. And that's to, to keep me in that Newtonian, you know, conundrum of it's going to just keep on going on one until that, that contrast builds so, so much. But I loved in this, in the, in the first movie, the, the thing that struck me that, that, that got me um, teary eyed, frankly, was when she was scanning him. Or she was tapping in, reading him when he was sleeping, and he was dreaming about the um, the river and fishing with his father. And he used the terms, you know, my, it, was, it was an open book, and I just felt like it was all free and it was very zen-like, I think he said, and just clears the mind. And she's talking about wanting to elope. Yeah, let's go to that place. Let's elope. Let's get married. Let's let's really come together. And I want to go to your river. And I thought, oh, that's, that's beautiful. And it made me think of a, a river runs through it and that whole fly fishing scenario. And I thought, well, there's the river of time per the ego. We're either in the river of time getting bashed about or it's really the, the river of life flowing through us. And I thought, wow, that's a beautiful metaphor. And then, of course, at the end, uh, he, he, he's going back to that place, but he's got to reveal the betrayal that oh, he already set up the betrayal, but how he regretted that. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's the ownership of, yeah, I, I've, I've betrayed the Christ. I, 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 I'm the betrayer ultimately, but it's all forgiven because it's just a, something to really look at and release. But anyway, on and on, there's just so many good stuff in here, so many notes. Uh, but just want to say thank you so much um, for doing this, for, for the setups, for um, just pulling. It's perfect. It's just perfect. And, and these two together for me, have been really helpful this evening because this week prior where I've been, I was just pulled, sucked into that specialness trap and trying to sort it out. And then once I talked to my friend, basically talked to myself on the phone and said, Oh, here's what's going on. You're just projecting the splinter and, you know, picture it like this and release it. and You get back into your right mind. No problem. Um, so here we are. Willpower now or never. Yeah. Thank you. You gave everyone a glimpse of the original. <laughs> That's fantastic, hearing that voice. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you so much. It's just a joy. It's a joy. I think that's it, David.
Okay, what a night. Well, 11 o'clock. Right, straight on the nose, 11 o'clock, 6 o'clock to 11. Well, thank you everyone. This, this is great. You know, we were tossing around different ideas and then this double header. We've done our first double header of the, of the new season. So, fantastic. And hey, I see you cheering, Helena. That's great. You got to, to join in. And thank you all for, for joining in with us because we're just so thrilled to be able to, to share this. Somebody said to me recently, they said, they said, it doesn't look like you're teaching anymore. They said it's, it's, it's turning into like some kind of a transmission. And I said, yeah, well that's how it feels. It's, it's like a transmission, it, but it goes beyond time and space. And it's like we're all meant to be just like a portal of letting love and light just pour through us so naturally and joyfully and easily. And that's the whole point of living it, you know, just being in the vibrancy of that, the joy and the honor. That was even the name of the, the woman in the first, the, the, the peep, the teep. She was honor. So we were all honored by, by honor and her part that she played. So. so thank you all. We send our love and hugs from here to you and hearts and kisses and We'll see you again, very soon. Like uh, Slava's been saying, it's always Wednesday. Every day is Wednesday. <laughs> it's a time collapse. <laughs>